Hey guys, Dustin Wynn, and you're listening to Bat Force Radio. Hey, this is Scott Snyder, and you're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Paul Dini, listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, and you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio, the DC Batman podcast with no limits. Now, our next guest is... I just messed up already. I already fucked up, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. This, this, is, this is usually a good omen. When, uh, when you trip over the intro a few times, it, it usually ends up being a good show after that. I'm pretty oh, sure man, the last four to five that I've done, <laughs> I've fucked up on each time. Awesome. <laughs> so those have all been good, too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, today we got uh, Robin D. Cross over in Canada. Buenos dias. I'm back for Tom in California, and our next guest is probably easily the most accomplished professional we've ever had on the show. He's designed for Warner Brothers, DC, Marvel, HBO, Sony, DreamWorks, McFarland Toys, Mondo, the NHL, and many, many more. Please welcome the insanely busy Brent Ash. Thanks, guys. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me on today. Of course. Yeah, dude, I'm running through your, I know we've been talking for a bit, but, um, yeah, running through your list of uh, clients is absolutely insane, man. <laughs> like, I think, um, like I said, we're not kidding when I say that you're easily probably the guy that's been the busiest, uh, person that we've talked to. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a crazy, I, I feel like I, I never take a break. I mean, it's been, Ever since uh, I started with McFarlane in uh, 1997, and it's been nonstop ever since. So it's like, I, it, in a weird way, the COVID stuff right now is a, uh, it's I'm still busy, but it's a it's a nice opportunity to kind of dial it down just a little bit and 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 think about you know where things are going and 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 just sort of get a, a sense of you know giving you know, sort of um, just thinking about what's important and, and thinking about like just taking a little bit of time off and, and enjoying, uh, enjoying the peace and quiet. Yeah. It's, it's almost like the rest of the world has to kind of go, been put on pause. So exactly. It gives, it, and it's funny cause we sit and talk to a lot of like artists and writers and stuff, and they've kind of been doing this kind of um, lifestyle for the whole time they've been in, they've been working and yeah. the world is now starting to kind of see and feel what it's like to uh, to have that kind of schedule. And I think you guys are much better acclimated to it than the rest of the world right now. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, it's, I don't know how you guys do this, man. It, I mean, a lot of pod, podcasts help and uh, music and just, just even uh, you getting people in, in that you know and in your industry on the phone sometimes and just shooting the shit when you're yeah. – you know, when you're busy working, it, it kind of having that, that type of human connection when you're pretty much working on your own or in isolation, um, it, 
and that's under normal circumstances, right? Not or pre-COVID that, that you it just, it sort of, it sort of gives you that connection out to the, to the world and, and, and lets you sort of, uh, um, not, not feel like you're, you're going crazy. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's definitely something, what I've learned is, um, if you guys don't figure out how to balance the barrier between work and home, that's where you start going crazy is like, you yeah. have to really know when to, um, Stop, you know, either give yourself plenty of time to do work, but at the same time, like, take a break and step away and, and live your life. Do you, do you work right now? Um, like, do you have an office that you get to go to or is it all out of your home? It's an office within, within my, my home. So it's, it's its own place. And so I can, you know, I, I can keep it pretty much contained. And, and when I want to take a break and, you know, play video games, watch movies, whatever, hang out, make dinner, then it's, it's, it's not sort of encroaching at all into the living space. Yeah. That's good, at least, man. So yeah, we, um, no, you have to, you you have to have that because otherwise, it's very easy, like you said, for it to spill over, and um and just sort of it it you 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 don't make those kind of boundaries, then then it, it all just becomes kind of a mess. Yeah, and it's it's like really, I mean, for we've we've said this almost every time we've in the last like three weeks now that we've had guests on. We really appreciate now the kind of work that you guys do because it's there was a, another element to it that we didn't really understand, which was um, working, you know, that mental like that that mental puzzle of of working from home and, and kind of, you know, creating a schedule. That's its own thing on its own on top of, you know, your deadlines that you probably have, all the all yeah. the feedback that you're getting from clients and notes that you're having to kind of go back and forth with on people. And yeah really separating like, okay, I'm at work right now. So I have to kind of prioritize this versus whenever I decide to be off. Like that's, you know, you guys have a lot high pressure and stress as it is with the stuff you do. But then on top of it, like you have this whole other aspect of like figuring out your life versus work. And it's like, you know, we really appreciate now the work you guys do more than ever. It's like, man, this was no, this was no walk in the park for sure, man. So um we, so we uh most recently, I think a lot of people, have been seeing some of your stuff. Um, I mean, I want to say it was just yesterday. We just put up some of your work yeah. on uh, the Catwoman piece for Mondo. Yes. Um, and that's been, I want to say, that line has been in production for a couple of years. But yeah. what we like to do normally is um, we'll get to all that great stuff, but we sure. kind of want to get to know you, want let people, want people to get to know you a little bit better, to kind of get sure. your start. Where did you get your start on? I mean, this is an, you have an insane career, so how the hell does a guy get – get to working with the NHL and like, you know, Ubisoft. We, 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 need, we need, we need the origin story. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, it bit by a radioactive um, tablet, I think, uh, but <laughs> which, no, which often mean, happens in Canada. It, yeah. You gotta watch out for them. They're, they're deadly. So, um, well, I went, I, I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta actually. And, and then, um, for the later years of, of, uh, of sort of middle school, I was in Winnipeg for a very short period of time, and that's when I first really got introduced to comic books. Um, there was a local comic book store not too far from where I live called Sticks. I don't, I actually have to look it up and see if it's still around, but I ended up actually getting a job there, and that was around the time when stuff like Dark Knight Returns, Electra Assassin, um, all those types of books were coming out. So, you know, you're getting to see that stuff firsthand without any real, like, anticipation that it's even going to come out. Um, it's just sort of showing up one day and, you know, you're stock, you're, you're stocking, um, the, the pull lists and all that kind of stuff and, and, and managing the warehouse. And, 
and you're you're sort of you you're seeing this stuff for the first time and it's just incredibly exciting and and that's kind of when I really first started to think about that was what I was interested in doing like something to do with the comic book industry um when you're seeing the quality of of you know presentation that uh in books like Watchmen or Dark Knight Returns like they really pay attention to the graphic design they really pay attention to the whole you know look and feel of it and even though at the time when you're young you don't really realize what exactly it's doing to you you it's having an impression and it's having an impact and and I can easily say to this day that that stuff was you know formative in terms of how I how I think and how I feel about how how information and how entertainment is presented mm-hmm. and and I think that um from there when I when I we eventually moved to Vancouver and that sort of just elevated everything because it turns out when I first moved there um, there was a suburb uh, to the – I lived in a place called Burnaby, and right next to that was a place called New Westminster, and there was a comic book store there that wasn't too far away. And it turns out Todd McFarlane actually lived not that far from there either, mm-hmm. and he was just starting on Amazing Spider-Man at the time, and he used to pop into that shop every once in a while, and he would be making photocopies of all of his pages, all of his original you know, interiors and covers and stuff before he would send them off to – um, to Marvel, I think probably I don't know if they were doing the coloring um, in house at the time, but but obviously it's all and there's no it's all pre digital so everything's being FedExed or shipped off um, once you're finished with it. So he would go and make like black and white photocopies of all these covers, and then the owner would pin them up you know behind the catcher's in the background. And I would beg him like oh, after gosh. you know like a like a month like after that he was sort of quote like done with it. I'm like can I have that? Like can I I'll, I'll pin it up you know, at home, and it, it went up with all my other, like, comic book posters, Arthur Adams, X-Men posters, and all that kind of stuff, and so, like, that was just sort of, that was the really early beginnings of, of McFarlane starting to become a superstar, so, like, it's just another thing that impresses upon you that you're like, okay, like, I'm getting, I'm sort of somehow circling around this industry, I don't know how, and then after high school, I ended up um, uh, applying to a art college, um, graphic design art college in Vancouver, and and that was a, a bachelor's degree. And then right after school was over, it was interesting because they only accepted like 20 people into the into the program. And you really had to fight for it. Like your your portfolio really mattered. And and it was very competitive. It was, I always sort of said it was like if you were the best person in your art class in high school, you were going up against the 20 other like best artists in their high school. Right. So it was like it, it, you weren't really used to that. You were kind of used to being like you know, king shit at your, at your art, art class in high school. And then all of a sudden yeah. now everybody's like the best. So they really, it, it's, it's an early point. You start to get that feel for, um, you know, how to, how to have to push yourself and how to, how to be competitive in terms of making art into a career. And then I remember when, when our class graduated, almost everybody had the mentality like, Oh, you know, this is really grueling for four years. I'm going to take a, a year off and just travel and stuff like that. And I, the first thing I remember thinking to myself was like, if they're all traveling, that means I can go apply yeah. for a job somewhere and like an internship. And one of my first internships was, um, was, um, at a studio. It was, it was a summer internship and there was like four designers. And their main client at the studio was Nintendo. And, but the, the, the twist on it was it was Nintendo of Canada. And so they were basically taking all of the packaging design and all the, and all the advertising point of sale stuff from 
Nintendo of America and having to rework it entirely so that it was perfectly bilingual. So it was like, it was a really crash course on like, how can you fit twice as much type into the same area? And cause you, you weren't allowed to make the French and English like, um, disparate in terms of like size. They had to be equal. And so, like, this is right out of college, and it's like you're getting, and I'm signing NDAs and like all this crazy stuff where it's like you can't talk about, you know, because that was at the height of like Nintendo and Sega sort of being um, one, you know, top dog in the industry, and 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 it was like I remember going home and it's like, you know, like what did you work on today? It's like nothing. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's your first exposure to NDAs, and you're like you don't know what you can say or not say, yeah. and everything was everything was very you know hush hush, top secret. And then, and then from there, um, I started interned at a couple more studios and got somewhere full time. And I remember having like I was following like the early days of Image and really excited about everything they were doing. And um, I had just one of those days at work, and 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 it was one of those days where I was like really frustrated with you know wherever I was working or what I was working on. And I and I hopped into the comic book store, and there was uh, the latest issue of Spawn without. I think it was I'm pretty sure it was issue 54. And in the back of it was an ad, and they said, hey, we're looking for, you know, an art director, graphic designer. And I was like, I'm going to apply. Um, you know, I just, it didn't even occur to me that, like, oh, you know, I'm going to have to move countries. I'm going to have to change, you know, everything. It didn't even matter. Like, I just, I got my portfolio together the best I could, and and I sent everything in. And it got down to, like, me and one other person. Um, I got on the phone with Todd, and and it was like, I think it was, I think we, we talked Canada talk, you know, like he's, he's originally from Canada and, and we started talking about everything but, like, everything but comics. Like we were talking about hockey, we were talking about, you know, he's obviously a huge Gretzky fan and like that type of thing. So, and, and, and he flew me down, um, it was early 1997 at that point and had a, it was, it was great. It was like really, it was a really interesting interview of it, as you can imagine. And, uh, I got to see the Spawn film screened for me without any visual effects. That was uh, part, I don't know if that was part of the interview, like if it was like, you know, that was the gauntlet, but it was like, if you can imagine that movie without any visual effects, it was, uh, it was <laughs> something else. Right. But that was, you know, early, and then the HBO, um, cartoon as well was, was just firing up and it was, it would air, I think later that year and, you know, he he offered me the the position and and I and I basically packed up my life and moved down and I was I think maybe twenty at the time. Holy crap! So like I just I fundamentally changed my life. Like I went to I graduated from high school really early. Like um my I remember my parents I think they put me into school a year year and a half ahead of like everybody else and um and so I ended up graduating high school really early, therefore going to college really early. And so I was in the job market and I was still in my, like my late teens. And, um, but again, by the time I moved to, to Phoenix to work with Todd, it was just, you know, like 2021. 20, um, and it was life changing. I mean, everything, I was there from 97 to 2002. And, um, and it was like, that's, you're asking stuff about the NHL and, and, and a lot of it's coming from, from there. So, you know, at the time, the, uh, uh, the Edmonton Oilers, were going through, I think they were being purchased, but what they ended up doing was that they, they split it amongst like 30 different owners and Todd was one of the owners. So he, you know, they all put in like X amount of money. And I still remember the phone call, like he called me up one day and he's, he's sort of, I, you've, you've spoken to him. So, you know, like he's, he's a, he's sort of a known practical joker. Like he'll, 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 
he'll f with you, right? Like mm. he'll he'll call you up and do a prank phone call or or whatever, mm-hmm. and just sort of tell you something. And I remember the day when he asked about the Edmonton Oilers and said, you know, would, you knew I was from there, and he said, would you like to work on the the work? You know, they asked to design the the third the third jersey. Um, at the time, they were doing alternate jerseys for a lot of the teams, and he said, you know, do you want to design it? And I was like, you're are you like are you kidding me, right? And and that's a whole other process in and of itself. Like, um, we I spent about a year or so working on it, and you only have one point in the year to actually submit the designs into the NHL. Um, if you miss the deadline for whatever reason, or if the design is rejected, which is actually what happened the first time, and I'll I'll get into that. But um, the, you have to wait an entire other year to resubmit. So. The first designs that I had done had a, a a motif that had an oil derrick in it, and um, it it was it was ended up getting rejected um, by the league because of the Houston Oilers, which was really strange because oh. it's not even it's not only not the same city or the same sport, it's like it's it didn't even look the same. But I guess like you know an oil derrick is an oil derrick, like they're they only kind of look one way, right? So. So, but that was it, and so the so the whole set of designs was completely rejected, and we had to go back to scratch, and then submit the the following year. But that's like that's just one of many stories of how like you, you ask you know like how do you end up doing stuff for the NHL? Like it's it's all because of like um all all the all the odd things that you could never predict that lead yeah. to that point that you just you, you know you 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 wouldn't actually like plan to do something like that i mean even if i wanted to now like the road to get to that is is extremely cloudy yeah you're just at the right place at the right time for a lot of this yeah stuff. so I've... much of it like yeah i could I, that's probably going to be come up throughout the whole conversation like <laughs> so much of of life is is not only like i think recognizing opportunity but but being in a place where you're able to kind of to to capitalize like capitalize is, I wouldn't even use that word because in a lot of cases it's really just a wave that you have to successfully surf and if that and if you don't that wave will will crush you right you know man so you were 20 21 years old and at the height of Mc, like the height of McFarland with that movie yeah. deal with the TV show you're in there working with them like on all this stuff and yeah. So you're like, and it's funny you mentioned like seeing the movie before any visual effects. Uh, I'm just like wondering what that was. It's probably it probably tired after you watched it. it was probably like, what do you think? Huh? What do you think about it? It's pretty good, right? I mean, what are you talking about? I mean, this cape's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be amazing. I mean, we're gonna have the yeah. cape. It's gonna be big. It's gonna be amazing. Yeah. Charlie yeah. Wazabo. Charlie Wazabo. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. Let's say like you. I mean, it's it's actually at a, at a you know again someone you guys too like you you love film and we're so used to seeing stuff in a finished form. And that, and in a lot of ways too, that really sets the stage for like, um, at a young age for being in a creative industry, um, you have to get really used to seeing stuff in all kinds of different shapes and, and forms of, yeah. of, of the process because, and you have to see past it a lot of times, like anything from working on a, a video game project to, um, toys, toy sculpting, packaging, identity design, all of it is, is fundamentally like some type of work in progress until it isn't. And, and, and with that in mind, like, you really have to have a vision and, and see past a lot of the, the blemishes because, 
it's it's hard like especially in in large endeavors like if you're working with a large team on a video game project like there's so many moving parts and there's just so many people involved and so many stakeholders and decision makers that if you're not able to kind of like lock down you know what you where you envision it going and 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 work with your team to get it to that place like it it becomes a very um very daunting task very quickly uh, yeah. One of my favorite uh, video game franchises ever is Assassin's Creed, and you've done some work with Ubisoft Montreal on Assassin's Creed. Yes. Uh, how did you find your way into that, and what was that like working on such a gargantuan property? Uh, it was it was incredible. It was it was already one of my favorite series. I I basically had been working in the after I left McFarland, I I went to the video game industry with a, a small studio in Phoenix. Um, and and I'd stayed there for like six or seven years um, over the course of several projects, but I'd gotten I got essentially headhunted um, through I think maybe at LinkedIn at the time by by actually just Ubisoft in general. They had originally approached me to um, with the position of creative director for a for a racing title they were developing at one of their um, Paris studios or French studios. It was Lyon. And, um, and it turned out, it, ultimately, that was the game that became the crew. Um, and so they were specifically looking for somebody, uh, that was, that had lived in America because the game was set there. And, and so it, like, for me, not having ever had any real, like, that level of creative director experience, um, ultimately that particular position, I, I didn't go, I didn't go to me, but they were impressed, you know, with every, with the interviews and everything else. And they said, you know, we've got, some stuff going on in Montreal. Would you be interested in, in going up there and visiting and 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 seeing you know if there's something there for you? And and that, at that point, I I, had, I was looking for a change as well. And 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 because of of some of the franchises that they had, like I think ultimately I choose between um, um, Far Cry. They were working on Far Cry Three at the time sure. and Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. And I ended up you know be, being such a big fan of Assassin's Creed as well. Um, it was it was actually a tough choice because both projects have a lot of appeal and a lot for a lot of different reasons. But I did end up going with Assassin's Creed, and uh, um, basically it was a really intense. Like I was there for about two and a half, close to three years, and over the course of that time, like they 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 created a position called presentation director, which I'd never heard of in the industry before. And essentially, because Assassin's Creed is fairly unique because there's two there's basically two layers of art direction going on. There's there's all the stuff that takes place in the simulation, the animus, and then there's the real like you know if you're in if if you're in the Crusades or if you're in Italy in the during the Renaissance, that has its own full complete layer of art direction. So they decided because of the scope of it to break it up into two separate endeavors and said you know we want a dedicated art director for all of the presentation, um, visual effects that have to do with the sci-fi side of it. And then we're going to have a separate art director for, and then, you know, of course we work together over various things and that's how I got to meet. Like, again, it's all connected. Like I've done, um, art book designs for, uh, um, a gentleman by the name of Raphael Lacoste and, and he was, you know, one of the art directors on Assassin's Creed. So you just get to sort of work with and know all these different people, um, through these various parts. And, and they think of you, like you, you sort of become top of mind when, when he's looking to design a book or, or do something, you know, with his personal work, um, you know, you become sort of that person to be a bit of a go-to. But, um, but yeah, I ended up working on Assassin's Creed Brotherhood and then I jumped right ahead to AC3. But in between that, they were developing AC Revolutions, Revelation, sorry. And, um, and like they, 
basically at that point, um, I was simultaneously working on both at this, at, uh, at, like while they were being developed. So I had two completely separate teams working on two completely separate games and basically overseeing the presentation art direction for both. And then in the middle of that, like there was a portable title for the PS Vita, which was Liberation. So I did some um, work and direction development on that. And then by the time that was all done, I'd, I'd already begun early work on what was to become um, AC4, which is the Pirate One Black um, Black Flag. And then at that point, I I really just wanted to to take a break and and go out on my own. And that's when I when I left and just and ever since then I've been doing my own thing. Um, but it, it's again these really huge pockets of intensity, like you know two and a half three years, and then shipping like two to three to four Assassin's Creed titles, like, at some point you just, you reach a, you, you realize that, like, if you don't personally put the brakes on, um, nobody's going to do it for you. Mm. So you, you really do have to kind of take, take a step back and, and it's, and it's, it's like I was saying at the, at the beginning of the conversation today, like, it's something like COVID, like, we're not going to naturally take a break ourselves. So in a weird way, the world is kind of forcing us to take one right now. Like, it's taking, it's it's making us kind of take a step back and 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 so there's obviously you know huge negative sides to all that it's not something anybody asked for right now or anybody wanted but maybe the small silver lining in that is that that we are able to kind of take a step back for a moment and reassess and go you know what what do we want to do how do we want to move forward you know everything's going to change i mean it's really hard to say at this point you know what what the world's going to look like 6 months from now let alone you know a year from now, um, it's having, you know, huge impact on all these different industries. Um, both, uh, both, you know, anything that has to do with physical space, like anything to do with concerts and sporting events. Um, you just saw today that Comic-Con, um, in San Diego was canceled. Um, there, it's going to be, it's just like a giant eraser has been taken to the calendar of 2020 now. Right. Mm -hmm. It's brutal, man. It's, and it's, um, but it, yeah, like you said, it's it's forcing us to kind of look at our lives in a different way and really kind of reconsider is what I'm doing like really. Yeah. Uh, it gives you an opportunity. Like you ask yourself, is this like all right? Like I I have this uh, adversity in front of me right now. Like okay, now I got to make decisions, and I probably wasn't really forcing myself to do it before, but now is the time where like I see the fork in the road. Okay, I go this way, I go that way, and um, something that like. I mean, it's, it's, uh, something, you, you kind of did it yourself where you're working on the, you're working on a monster video game title, monster like studio that's putting together like games that are going to be celebrated and, and, you know, rated very high. What made you want to go from like, I guess the, uh, success and security of something like working with that to then saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go freelance. I'm going to do my thing. Like, was it something that you just knew, knew you like had to eventually rip the bandaid off or what was it that prompted that for you? I think it was a, a, a couple of different things. Um, first of all, it's, it's that, um, we talk a lot about how certain connections earlier in life or earlier in your career, um, sort of come back into, into frame or into focus as you go. And at that time, um, so I, uh, when I was at McFarlane, I'd worked, um, with an artist named Ashley Wood and, um, and he had in the meantime, like we, we, after we both, we left McFarlane right around the same time. Um, uh, it was staggered probably by maybe half a year or more, but, but 
ultimately like we both ended up going uh, into different areas and he had he had really focused on his art career and then um started to develop a a, a toy company with with a with a group in Hong Kong and and it was starting to get quite quite significant for him and in addition to all of his personal work um he was starting to do a lot of licensed stuff so that's when um you know companies like Microsoft or or Bungie had been approaching him and his company to 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 work on on um high-end collectible figures for Destiny or Halo or, you know, Metal Gear, some of those types of things. And and that just was really appealing and interesting to me. Like, he reached out and, and we spoke at length about sort of what what he was looking to get done. And, and I saw that as an opportunity to, like, you know, I really did want to get more on my own. And, and, and I think... I think the main the main thing is that um, video game projects are very they're they're quite lengthy. Like you're working on something very intensely for just but just one thing for, for a year, year and a half, two years. And I was sort of interested in the idea of shorter, shorter, more concentrated projects where I could do a lot more variety in the course of a year, um, um, and that I wasn't hinging like. In an entire year or two years worth of like you know blood, sweat, and tears on on one project, um, I was able to kind of be a little more compartmentalized about. I'm really interested in in you know um, these types of things that that 3A is doing, and I'm really interested in these types of things that this other company is doing. And so, um, what what that affords you is you're able to work with a lot of different types of people um, on a lot of on a huge variety of projects. So like like I've I've sort of a weird background because. I went from toys, publishing, packaging, website, that type of thing, and then ripped that Band-Aid off and went wholeheartedly to video games. And then, so now I've got these two completely separate types of compartmentalized careers, and, and I was sort of seeing opportunities to mix them together and, and to expand kind of on all the, because even when I'm at, at Ubisoft, like, the, the presentation director role, you're only really supposed to be working on user interface and visual effects, stuff like that, but every opportunity I could take, like, I would, I would be, you know, mocking up, you know, collector's edition book covers and logo designs and T-shirts and merchandise. So I really took um, advantage of, of like the background that I brought with me to 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 go. Hey, you know, I can have a positive impact on on the brand itself and not just the specific thing that they're asking me to do. And then when the time came, I was like, well, I can start to do that um, a lot more frequently for a lot more a lot a lot more people if if I just detach myself from any one thing and go, okay, I'm going to work on this and then I'm going to work on this. And so, you know, it, it introduces a whole host of new challenges because as you said earlier, like finding balance and a schedule and discipline and all that is, is one of the biggest challenges. Like at some point um, over the last few years, like I've had a client in almost every time zone on the planet simultaneously. Right. So it's like, it starts to become like, okay, where do you carve out an eight hour day to get all this work done, give yourself a life, be, you know, have a normal schedule, but still be available to to be able to to be of service to and and uh, to everybody's different needs and everyone's different, you know, um, asks that they're that they're looking for. So, um, I, I like that. Like, I, I like sort of hitting a little bit of the reset button um, every once in a while and saying, like, here's a, here's a challenge and that I recognize, and here's a way that I think I can you know meet that challenge, and 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 you know, you just, I mean, sometimes it is a leap of faith and sometimes it's a bit of a finger cross and you're like, I'm, I'm hope I'm going to, I hope this is going to work out. And then each year goes by and 
you know, you build on your success and you build on, on the different things that you're, you've done and, and you maintain a good network and, and, and a good level of professionalism. And, 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 and it, you know, I don't want to say it's that easy. Like it just takes care of itself, but you find that those types of things give you some of the momentum that you need to carry, you know, to carry you through. Yeah, man. Is there anybody like, I mean, it's cause I guess there's a lot of different inspiration you can kind of pull from because, you know, all the different mediums that you work with, there's so many like individuals that yes. uh, could be seen as inspiration. But is there anybody that you look at? I mean, Todd is, is a big one for me yeah. as far as like that guy has his hand in everything. But is there anybody that you've kind of like for me when I look at a career like yours, like I, I don't even if you were to ask me 10 years ago that that stuff like what you do is possible, I would have been like, no way. But seeing how you take a career and progress it the way you're doing it, like. Did you look to anybody to kind of be like, all right, that's kind of the inspiration I want. I want to be just like this guy or that's kind of how I, I want to follow. Cause you're, you're kind of paving your own way really with this stuff. I think, I think that's it. I think I, I, I think it's because of the types of people that I've, I've encountered. I, I, I really do try to, um, and I think that's one thing the video game industry taught me was that because it's such a, a highly multidisciplinary endeavor that you start to gain a lot of respect and trust and empathy for the different disciplines. Like I'll never be the level of programmer that it would take to, to make these games work the way they do. But in, in having, you know, being in close proximity to those types of people and sort of getting an insight into how they think and how, and how they tackle problems. And then, and then, but, but then going, but being in the position you're in, if you're, if you're in a director position at some place like Ubisoft, that, You'll go immediately from that type of um, interaction to a marketing meeting, and then you'll go from a marketing meeting to a meeting with the creative director and the animation lead. And so, all of a sudden, um, over the course of interacting with all these different types of people and and getting sort of getting a, getting a, an insight into sort of how they tackle problems and how they solve problems. Um, not all of it, you know, not all of it's graphic design, obviously, but but it does it does give you a sort of a crash course education in like. Um, how people tackle their respective disciplines, how they work with others. Um, and so you pick up on all those things. And if you're sort of, if you sort of tune in to like all these, you know, different radio stations, like you're going to get the signal that, that kind of steers you where you want to go. So I, I, it's really like I could cite zillions of influences, but I don't know if I could cite somebody where I went, that person exactly is, is what, what I'm modeling myself after. Like, um, I can only say that in a lot of ways it's kind of gotten there by by a mix of like accident versus intuition like it's not really any like it's it's sort of recognizing being in the right place at the right time it's it's stumbling forward at times and not exactly knowing what you're doing and then it's it's then kind of feeling a little more comfortable behind the wheel and going okay now I can steer this where where I want it to go yeah uh, it's it's a a crazy example of personal and professional growth and the progression of your career path just hearing you tell the story of how you were basically a kid getting a job with Todd McFarlane and then fast forward to the point where you said so I left McFarlane to go do something else and that's, yeah. that's just such a, a a giant leap from you know being this this young kid excited to be going out and meeting Todd getting this job working with Absolutely. him and then moving on to the day where you're like okay it's time for me to move on to something else now 
there's also a moment where you, I think you can kind of feel where you've done and said everything you've wanted to do. Like, and that's, that is not at all meant to be, you know, a statement of arrogance. That's really a, 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 a sense of, of like, you, you have soft goals or maybe invisible goals in your head of like what you're trying to do. And you, you kind of know intuitively the moment where you feel like, if I'm, if I've, if I've done what I set out to do and if I feel like I've accomplished, like, cause you could certainly just keep going and, and keep doing the same thing like over and over and, and may, and, and, and settle in, you know, for the most part, um, and still continue to do great work, but, but never really finding out like what's outside the, the realm of that. And so I, I think there's, I think that's, that's different for everybody. Like everybody has a threshold of where, where they feel like challenged versus comfortable and 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 you have to you know you have to decide for yourself like constantly where do you want to test the limits of that and where do you want to um where do you want to take a risk and where do you want to take it easy you know or 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 maybe take it a little bit the safe route and and throughout the course of of a year or 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 several years like those things ebb and flow very very um very widely like I can say that there are moments where I've felt maybe in a bit of a rut, like uh, I've been doing something kind of similar or, or I don't feel as interested or challenged by this. And it's never really any one thing in particular. It's just, it's sort of more of a feeling or an intuition. And then eventually, um, you know, you push outside of that and you, and you reach an opportunity where you feel challenged again, or you feel like you're, you know, there's always that feel that they're saying like, even you feel a little uncomfortable, you are probably on the right track. I think it's yeah. a good sign of uh, having a, a good awareness of what you're doing, what you've done, and what you have left in you. Um, yeah. Our most recent episode, we had Jason Fabic on. Yeah. Uh, he was talking about doing Three Jokers with Jeff Johns. And Another where, Canadian. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. And uh, when he first, you know, when so he and Jeff were talking about, you know, what what project they were going to do, and Jay said, "Well, let's do something Batman," and Jeff said, "Well." I, I've done Batman stories before. I I don't want to do another Batman story unless I have something to say. You know, I'm I I don't yeah. want to do another Batman story just to do another Batman story. Right, right. I I echo that sentiment in some ways, very in a different way. Like I I often look at the the things I work on as I may only get to do this once, so I better get it right. Like like for Mondo, for example, like you know one of the things I I finished late last year was for the Half Life. Um, um, character the, the Gordon Freeman that they did, and and like Half Life Two is one of my favorite games of all time, and so it's it's a mix of feeling like nervous about it, but also like excited and going like there's not a lot of Half Life Two stuff out there. Like it's a it's a game that's not very heavily merchandised, and Valve is you know at the at that time Valve was not really focusing on that type of thing. They were they were still a smaller studio. Steam was just sort of in its early days, and so they they are not the Valve that they are now. So to be able to basically dive back into that world and go, okay, like I got to get this right. Like I love this game. Um, the, the game is, is heavily laced in um, Easter eggs and, and strange, um, strange sensibilities that are kind of often, um, you know, obfuscated or, or, or just not, not apparent until you sort of dig into it. It has a very rabid fan base. So like, you want to do right by that. Like you, you absolutely, you want to do right by it, not only for yourself, because, um, because of, you know, taking pride in your work, but you want to, you like, there's like, there's, there's, there's the fan aspect. Like there's people that love it as much as you do. 
and and they want to they want to get something. If you're going to pay two hundred something dollars for a toy, like you want to get you want to get that the the best that it could possibly be, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, go ahead. Oh, but I was going to say like that. That's it. Like I probably there's very little chance. Um, for whatever reason, I'll probably ever work on anything to do with Half Life again. So, um, I take that a bit fatalistically. Like, mm. that's not a negative statement. It's like I I had my one and only in my mind my one and only shot to work on it, and I'm and, you know and and I'm and I'm gonna get it as right as I can, and and if if I get to do something else with it, great. If not, then I I didn't leave anything on the table. Yeah, it's um. Especially right now in the environment that we're in where like projects and, um, you know, things that are being worked on suddenly just might have to grind to a halt because, yes. you know, the resources or whatever are now scarce and uh, or maybe it's the ability for people to kind of go and get these things is, is no longer available. So it's yeah. a good way of looking at it. Like I think you guys especially because of all the properties that you work with and all the things that can change hands with like ownership yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It's like, I, I think especially with like design stuff and concept stuff, like there's a chance that you might put in like a year or two's worth yeah. of work and just that stuff will just never come out because like the company got bought out or there yeah. was like, like you said, you know, you worked on the design for this Jersey and um, the, the football team that no longer exists had yes. that same logo like, yep. right before they became the Patriots, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Have you had that? Like, well, like, you probably can't talk about it, but what was like the most amount of time you spent on a project and then you realize like, man, no one's ever going to see this. Like, here's like however uh, many months of my life. I, well, there's two situations actually. Um, when I was at the studio in uh, video game studio in Phoenix, um, after after we shipped a few titles and again it's like there's ties to licensing i find like throughout everything i do like what the second title that i worked on there was um a video game for for pixar's cars movie and of course the studio that i was working at was known for its um the racing title so they were making a lot of the motocross off-road type of games um exclusive for sony um at the time and so it became kind of a boutique studio known for that specialty so naturally like thq had um ties licensing ties with pixar and disney uh, actually no it was pre-disney it, it was it was pixar only uh, nickelodeon was another studio that they that they they had um licensing ties with and so we were tapped right away to do uh to, to work on, on the Pixar project. After that, um, we didn't, as a studio, didn't really have a lot to do, so we were asked to pitch a bunch of things. And, and I, 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 along with another designer, had pitched something that got very far along um, and then ultimately just got killed. Um, and then they said, try again. Like, you know, you can keep mm-hmm. the same group of team that you had together. There was a small group of us, um, maybe, you know, 8 to 12, and, you know, keep going. And so you go into sort of pitch mode for what felt like close to a year where you're just pitching concepts and developing prototypes and doing all kinds of things and not knowing, you know, like that's where you, you always hear the cliche about sort of like the invisible corporate overlords. And it's like, that's I can, I can attest to like, that's kind of how it felt, even <laughs> though we met with them pretty often. Um, you do feel like you're just sort of, there's some cement wall there that you're just throwing stuff over and hoping that, that you get like a thumbs up you know, from the other side. And, and, and that's a very, that's a very tough existence. Like you want to put everything into the pitch cause you, you know, you believe in it and you want it to, to go through. But 
ultimately, you know, that's, that's, I think that's the other thing you, you were asking about, like when to kind of shift gears in your career, but I think it's trying to get to positions where you minimize the possibility of that happening. Mm. You know, you really want to, um, you, you don't want to face those situations where you've put like two or three years into something and the end result of whether it lives or dies is completely out of your hands. Yeah. Um, yeah. that's a very, that's a, that's, that's not something, that's a luxury, I think now, like to be able to, to be able to avoid that in some ways because you see it happening in, in all, all industries. You know, you see it happening in video games, film, and then you also see where film and, and, and in particular, we're seeing it more and more. I don't know if it's because there's more reporting on it or if it's happening more, but films are going through extensive reworking at the zero hour. Like you're seeing it happening in major franchises. I know you guys are, are, are obviously keeping tabs on all the, you know, the, the Snyder stuff over the course Snyder, of his. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, but I mean, you know, and, and we recently saw some, you know, a lot of reports coming out with the latest Star Wars that, it seemed up That's until right. the zero hour that like that they were just, you know, just tinkering with this thing endlessly. And yeah. and again, I don't know if that's a new that's not necessarily a new thing. Like you often hear reports out of, you know, old, even older Hollywood films. But the reporting on it now is much more extensive. And so we're getting a window into like exactly what you're talking about, where it's like people, you know, really put their all into something for for years. And a lot of how it ultimately ends up is out of their hands. Yeah. It's uh, it's a different, def, definitely a different age now because, I mean, to us included, there's like millions of different, uh, uh, you know, quote unquote press outlets that are getting access to places that they probably wouldn't normally get to. So you're getting all, you're bombarded all day and night with all these, uh, you know, behind the scenes or progress shots yeah. and stuff like that. that I'm, I'm kind of glad at least that like, with some of, I mean, movies, it seems to be like the biggest thing where there's all these leaks and there's all these, yeah. um, progress, like photos that you see. So it's like, you know, you hear of a movie getting made and you're already seeing everything look like you're not really supposed to be seeing it, but you're seeing all these, all these like, um, in progress stuff. But at least with like some of the stuff, you know, like, um, that the, the toys that you work on and like, um, you know, the, the video games, like we're at least seeing more of an end product when you guys tease stuff. Yeah. So there's like a little less of that snobby, like uh couch warrior that's able to kind of like up sure. your nose, you know? So yeah. You absolutely. Get something at, at the finished product, it's better to have something complete. So if you want to critique it, you're able to, because it's legitimately the, the end product versus like something that's um not finished. And that's what sucks is that like, I feel you're right. Like it's so weird how, um, these m- massive budget like f- films are being like tweaked and cut up and altered. Um, and it's so obvious that they are and yeah. like, they're still getting turned in and, and like for us to consume. And it's like, dude, that's cr- like, it's just insane that like, you know, like the, they did it with, um, I mean, I don't know if people kind of split down the middle with that Han Solo movie, but what's his name? Ron Howard. Yeah. Ron Howard, like, had to go and reshoot a bunch of stuff and rewrite some stuff. And, uh, it was like two different movies combined into one. And, um, just this massive franchise, like Star Wars is even doing it. It's like, man, we're really giving, like, uh, bloggers and, like, the internet a bigger say than they probably should have. And, and, uh, when things leak like that, like, you hear about people leaving projects and then, how it gets replaced. Like if I wonder if there'd be less criticism if you didn't know about it at all, you know? Like, yeah. I, I, I think about that a lot. Like, I mean, you know, I don't know for, for you guys, like growing up, 
when you know pre-internet days um if you went and saw a star wars movie like when i was growing up like you for, first of all you didn't know if there was going to be another one right and second of all <laughs> even if you did you knew yeah. very very little about it like i wonder you'd have to go back and look but i'm wondering if 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 the at the time like the empire strikes back if like there's certainly a lot of secrets in within that movie that that you didn't know about but even the cast like would you have known like Billy D Williams is going to be playing a major character or would you have known mm-hmm. that like you know it's there's this uh this puppet character that Frank Oz is doing or would you know that like and so you just i think you get more of a chance like there's more intimacy and more mystery around a lot of that stuff like there's right. such a potent period throughout the you know the early 80s through probably maybe like i would say kind of up until like the matrix um mm. so there's this framework this bracket of film and pop culture where we we didn't get that level of of scrutiny and overexposure um and we got to sort of experience things like as they happen and without you know um you don't need 20 20 different youtube sites doing um half an hour long dissections of a of a 1 minute trailer right yeah. Um, I mean, no, but, but I think like, like those, those things are fascinating in and of itself and the culture around it is of course as well. But, but at the same time, there's something to be said for experiencing something cold, like without yeah. any, and, 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 and you have to really go out of your way to avoid it. Like even, even most films, especially most tentpole films now are, are, are putting out at least three trailers, if not more. And then there's oh God, all yeah. the television commercials and everything else. So at some point, like, the, the 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 romance of it like the mystery of it the allure of it kind of gets like drained of it right and it's yeah. very hard to it's hard to see this stuff through like a fresh lens or through a fresh um perspective and and i i personally like you it's it's like this one like yourself you have to almost actively work to avoid it um right. otherwise because you certainly can't it's not going back the way it was like there's no way we're ever going to go back to like not knowing that there's five Marvel films in development and, and here's when they're going to be coming out. And like, it's, it's such an industry and it's, and it's, there's so much money at stake and there's so much, um, there's so much development, pre-production concept, um, you know, everything locking down, even like they want to lock cast members down for, for multiple years so that they can do, you know, sequels or tie-ins or whatever else. And, you know, those are things that growing up, like we never really thought about it. We never considered it. How, and, uh, how is it, it takes a, uh, a, it, Oh, sorry, go ahead. We were all talking about one player. I'm jumping on you. <laughs> I was just going to say, sorry. that's a, a double edged sword, though, isn't it? I mean, these, uh, at the same time, these studios are, are using the fans for promotion and, yeah. and to kind of sort absolutely. of extend the experience outside of the theater. Yeah, for, yeah, know, absolutely. For more than two hours, for a year or whatever. Like, uh, when The Dark Knight came out, there was all this viral marketing. Yeah, and, and it's incredible. Yeah, no, that's it. You're absolutely right. Like the relationship now too, like everything has changed. So, you know, not only how we experience um, the film itself, but everything around it and the, and the relationships that are, that, that are formed between fan bases and, and, and studios and, you know, and and that's not unique to film, you know, you you could, you could level that um, against video game developers, uh, comic books, you know, um, publishers, toy manufacturers, like, that you know there's all these pockets of 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 community and interaction that are happening at such a pace that that we've never seen before like it's at an it's such an accelerated pace that um it again like just 
going back to the theme of maybe slowing down for just a minute so you can kind of catch a catch a perspective on everything that's going on um it's not necessarily a bad thing yeah and how uh, how transparent everything is with the internet these days you you mentioned the days before the internet was around uh, it's hard to watch a movie like uh civil war or not civil war um infinity war and go into that and watch you know, X number of characters get wiped out towards the end of the movie, but you already know that, well, half of those characters already have solo films in pre-production, yeah. so I <laughs> yeah. can't put a lot of weight on what I just yeah. saw happen. They're, they got, like, four different Disney Plus uh, TV shows coming out with all of them yeah. in it. Because <laughs> we know about movies five years before they're on our screens. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, how is it? Well, you know, I, I was about to ask, you know, the difference between like gaming versus films. But now that I think about it, films are our gaming is like turning into um, just as much of a moneymaker, if not more Absolutely. than Absolutely. the movie stuff. And I remember thinking like um, Death Stranding like hadn't come out yet. Yeah. And I was like, wait, Death Stranding hasn't come out yet. I've been seeing like fucking trailers for that thing for, for like years. two years yeah yep. and i already know the storyline i already know that what's his name daryl from the walking dead is in it yep. and i'm like that that hasn't come out yet and i just remember being blown away that like damn like that has been in production for forever yeah and uh there's so much of a fan base that already knows like the storyline and stuff to it and yeah i remember just reddit post after reddit post every day of talk so I mean that is kind of like its its own I guess the big the big massive companies that are making these these massive games but for the most part it feels like um the gaming industry has been able to aside from what they allow to kind of get leaked out you don't really see like leaks you don't really see like stuff like getting out there as much like what is it about the gaming industry that they have the ability to kind of keep that stuff like so much tightly under wraps is it cuz there's less people working on it Actually, I think one of the reasons is um, because it's happening in in a closed like studio in a closed okay. system. So if you so if you think about the leaks that you're talking about, like let's take for example the recent um, stuff with the the upcoming Batman movie. So you're seeing um, set photo leaks. You're seeing a uh, costume, you know, him on the motorbike out, out in, on location. And that's, yeah. that's exactly it on, on the nail on the head is that, um, because a video game is happening behind closed doors, the development of it, um, there's no opportunity for somebody to, to, to come across like right. something, you know, and they're, they're, they tend to be, they tend to keep a lot of the information of whether, like, you know, you can you can assume like when a when a new Assassin's Creed, Creed game comes out that there's going to be another one at some point. But yeah, beyond that, they're they're fairly tight lipped about um you know what the theme is going to be or the location or when it's coming out or or certain aspects of the gameplay features, and that's because it's all happening behind closed doors. So mm. there's never really um an opportunity for it to get exposed. There's a funny story actually about um. In Montreal, one of the developers here uh, was working on, I think, the second of the most recent Tomb Raider, um, the second or the third title. And one of the people working on the game was on on the subway, and they had their um, laptop open working on a presentation deck. And somebody oh, was kind of looking over their shoulder, and you can see, you know, 
Lara Croft or whatever concept art or screenshot, and they kind of they kind they and then it became reported. Like it, it, it ended up there's a pretty well known um, video game website called Kotaku, and and they they they're they're sort of one of the the larger outlets in terms of um, reporting on the industry or breaking news or whatever. And so lo and behold, like by the end of the day, that that story had been posted. So like there's your there's the video game equivalent of yeah. of of a leak, right? Um, and and stuff does get leaked, like. Even in like a, a game such as Destiny uh, or Destiny Two right now, um, because it's like it has such a voracious community that's playing it, you know, often parts of the game get data mined. Um, that are you know, and and that leads to like uncovering, oh, this exotic weapon is eventually gonna, you know, it's in the database. So it's like yeah. the the API is public. So so basically, like you know, anyone can that has even some bit of ingenuity can go in and, and dig around yeah. and go on a bit of a treasure hunt and find like, Oh, okay. The, you know, if they, if they, if they look far enough, they'll find stuff that is already in the code because it's a live game. Um, and so there, there are, so like in that sense, there are, um, there are equivalencies to like the, what we're seeing as that photo leaks in the video game industry, but, but they're different. And, yeah. and you're right. They do keep things fairly tight, fairly secret. Um, Usually, and I do Death, think it's yeah. Death Stranding. Uh, you mentioned Death Stranding a couple minutes ago. And I think part of the reason why we saw so much of that for so long is because of everything that went on before yes. that project happened, because yep. Hideo Kojima was doing silent Hills and Norman Reedus was going to be sort of the, the star of that. And they had the PT demo that was up uh, f- for people to play, and that still gets called the scariest video game of all yeah. time, and it was just a demo. But uh, Hideo Kojima ended up leaving the company, and they yeah. took the PT demo down so people yeah. couldn't download it anymore, and then he went off and instead developed uh, Death Stranding with Norman Reedus. Yeah. So that, that was super so, talked about for a so, very long time. So that's the original Snyder Cut. Exactly. In a lot of ways, it, yeah, and also like like Kojima is a, the industry's closest example to you know uh, uh, an auteur. Like you know, if you think in 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 film director terms, you know, pick pick your favorite, right? Like pick your Christopher Nolan or David Fincher or or or, or Zack Snyder, whoever you want. The video game industry doesn't necessarily have a, a, a whole host of personalities that are of that like auteur level, but Kojima. Is, is, is one of the few. And so he's also, you know, very much a master of, of self-promotion. So he's, he's built his whole career around these very large, elaborate cutscene, um, you know, narrative, uh, Easter egg, breadcrumbs, whatever you want to call it, um, throughout the Metal Gear franchise and, and throughout all of his work. And so, um, he essentially took what he, what he's best at. And, and when he left and started his own company, he was able to, to capitalize, I think, on not only his his fan base and his reputation, but also um, that that like he had sort of no no restraints. You know, he was able to go out and develop his own game engine. Um, he was able to go and build his own studio. So it's really a a, um, a person that had honed his entire career at another company was now able to go and and do it for himself. That's awesome. Uh, I, he's probably the only person in the gaming world that I'm aware of, uh, you know, I'm not uh, as hardcore a gamer as, as a lot of people are, but he's probably the only person that I know who is so well known for so many different properties yeah. over such a long time. Like you, you, 
you get to know about a lot of people that are really well known for you know a couple specific projects. Like right yes. now, Neil Druckmann is really well known for yep. The Last of Us, and the sequel is about to come out. But you know, for right. as well known as he is for that, he's worked on other things, but he doesn't have the notoriety on dozens of projects over you know twenty, thirty years like Kojima has. Exactly. Yeah, he's really he's really earned it. Like um, everything. All of the success and, 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 um, awareness of Death Stranding are, are absolutely a testament to how he conducts, you know, um, um, his endeavor. All right. I got a question now that we're yeah. talking, we're talking, we're getting deep into gaming. So, um, one of the things I like, one of my, what, a very vivid memory of mine when I was a kid was watching, um, I don't know how, I, I guess, I think it came with a game. So I think with Donkey Kong Country, Yes. Uh, for Super Nintendo, I think if you like pre-ordered it from Toys R Us, throwback, and I think yep. it came, or maybe I mail-ordered it, it came with a VHS tape. And okay. the VHS tape had like a making of Donkey Kong Country. Right, right. And I remember fucking loving that tape because it was the first time that I ever saw what it was like to make a video game. Yeah. And I, you know, it's you don't see that every day. You see how they make movies, you see how they make music, but seeing like the process of making a video game, that was completely foreign to me. So I rewatched that VHS tape probably as much as I played the game. Okay. And I remember the host was this like just this burn burnout looking dude with like long curly dark hair and the Hawaiian shirt, and it was awesome. But um the thing that like blew me away was this was all footage of before the game was released. So they're kind yeah. of taking you through, here's the concept art. Here is where these guys are writing the code for the game. But the most amazing thing I saw was, and here are the room where we have the testers play the game. Yep. And there was these like 20 year old dudes sitting there with, I'll never forget it. It was a lawn chair, bag of Doritos, can of Coke. And they just yeah. got their feet up playing the games, they're playing levels of the game before they're done, and they're like, and here we have our video game testers playing the game. I thought that was the coolest job I had ever seen in my life. Like, people yeah. have jobs playing video games just to play them to see if they're any good. Yeah. So, with working on stuff, like, you obviously, you know, you do the, you do the, uh, the, the, the art direction for this game. Is that done in-house? Like, the testing and the gameplay, like, who gets to play with that sweet, sweet like demo that 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 you guys are working on? It depends on um it depends on the studio and it depends on the scale of the game. So um like and it's no secret that Ubisoft has you know studios all all throughout the world. So a project like Assassin's Creed is being simultaneously worked on. Like there's usually like a what they call like a, a lead studio. So that would that could be Montreal. That could be um. For example, uh, there's a studio in Singapore. Um, there's there's studios in Toronto, but then there's satellite, what they would call satellite studios. So you've got um, like co-development happening for certain aspects of the game um, in in other areas of the world simultaneously. So the coordination, first of all, is is significant. Um, but but that also includes what what's known in the industry as QA, which is quality assurance. So um, it takes what you everything you just said and, and takes it a step further is that what they're not only doing is they're testing for a lot of things. They're testing for um, stability, like in terms of like is it crashing at certain points? Because there's so you have to remember with a game that there's so much content getting 
dumped into like, you know, into one big container for lack of a better metaphor by so many different types of people at, at such frequent intervals that it causes the stability of, of the entire thing to, you know, continuously fluctuate. So that's one of the key things that they're constantly test for is whenever you're introducing more and more content into the final product, you know, they're testing for stability, but while they're doing that, they're testing for, you know, for everything, like how responsive are the controls how um how's the frame rate how's how are the how are the cutscenes integrating is there like long load times before the cutscene kicks in um how's the pace how's the continuity there's a famous uh, wired magazine article um around the development i think of halo 3 and microsoft sort of takes it all to like the next level where they have um you know facil- test facilities where people play the game but they measure their biometrics like they actually measure them yeah, no, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll link you guys the article after the, after the call. Um, but it's fascinating. Like that had a huge impression on me because I wasn't really in the, you know, deep into the video game industry yet, but seeing that real state of the art type of approach, like, um, specifically applied to something like Halo where they're measuring like in increments of like every five seconds, like what your emotional response is to what's happening. Oh, God. Um, it's fascinating. And so like, it's not, it's, it sounds kind of nefarious, but in fact, it's, it's not really, it's actually, it's, it's that, like, it's, it's, it's a Hollywood focus group taken to a whole nother level, right? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, you, you do a test audience and they're like, well, how did you feel about the film after? It's like, imagine measuring on a, like a minute or a half minute interval, like how, if people are sweating or if their, if their heart rate picks up or like, it's, it's incredible. So like, you know, the article is, is quite old now, but it, it, it's so applicable to to anything that's being done now, and so yeah. any different studios have different degrees of of how far they're willing to go into that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that and again, that's 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 industry level of like what what are they looking to achieve with some of these things. So, I, but that's it. Like it's 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 a, it's a very strong entry point into the industry. Like if you love games and you want to you got to involved with them. They often talk about QA as being like a pathway. Um, a lot of them often end up getting to um, producer level positions, or um, even managing like quality assurance departments. So it's it's a legit pathway um, into into like deeper parts of development because and they're critical. Like Q, QA is absolutely essential to to the to the final outcome of a game because they're testing for so many different things, and they're testing like just you know, continuously as more and more content, like the game just keeps filling up. But you think of it as a glass filling up with content, like from the very early days when it's just like, there's not much, there's not much content, not much animation, not much texture detail, not much, you know, modeling detail, not many levels, not much UI. Eventually that thing fills up with all of that stuff. And by the time it does, it's almost bursting with like, with, with, you know, instability, uh, you know, potential, right? Yeah. What are some of, um, what are some games that you haven't worked on? Or what are some games that you like love right now? Or maybe in the last like several years, you've gotten a chance to kind of play and be like, damn, that is a top to bottom. That is just an amazing, amazing project right there. Um, there's a small indie game, um, that's called Inside, um, which I don't know if you've ever played it. It's available on pretty much every platform now. It's on the Switch. Um, it's on, it's on Xbox and, and PlayStation. And it's, um, it is absolutely incredible. Um, like for a guy that like loves typography and user interface, 
it is a game with virtually no um none of that uh hmm. it's it's all told through the entire art design of the game um it's it's atmospheric it's artistic it's beautiful it's a lot of fun it's it's short like that's the thing too like I, I tend to look for a mix of, of different levels of engagement. Like, um, I don't necessarily have the time to throw into something like The Witcher 3, but um, not that I don't want to. It's just when you start talking about 60, 70, 80 hours to really get the full experience. Um, the biggest problem is actually, like, I can get into it for, like, 10 hours, and then what will happen is I'll get super busy, and then I'll put it down for, like, a month and a half, and then I'll, I'll be like, I forgot, like, everything about where I was at. So um, that's... That's to me the biggest problem. So a lot of times I'll look for something a bit shorter. Um, but that, like, it's, uh, they, they did a, they did Inside and they, um, there's another title that they did and I'm brain farting. I'll, I'll remember it. Um, is, uh, is, is Journey the same people? Journey? No, it's yeah. not the same people, but yeah, that was another game I was going to reference. Um, the, the studio that made Inside is called Play Dead and they're from, um, they're based over in, I want to say Sweden, but uh, they, they're yeah, they're definitely a, a European studio, um, and like they're just I, I I can't recommend it enough. It's it's probably one of my favorite games of the last decade. Wow. Um, it's a short experience, like I said, it's probably five or six hours, but you get so immersed in the in the art design and just the mood and the atmosphere of it. Um, everything about it, the sound design, um, the the pacing of it, the mechanics, the way they introduce you to different aspects of what's going on um journey is another one that is is really amazing um again it's it's less like that's the other thing we're seeing like we're seeing it in in all forms like video games are 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 evolving um away from not strictly being um triple a action adventure first person shooter like those are all those are all always going to be staples of the industry and 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 they're all great games but with the smaller indie studios, they have an opportunity, um, much like we've seen, you know, with indie comics or with indie film, they have opportunities to tell stories in, in, in a less orthodox way. Mm. Yeah. Like, uh, you have games like, uh, Edith Finch that you're basically yep. just walking through a story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so like the, 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 again, like it's like everything else, like it's, what are you in the mood for and, and how much time do you have to invest in it? So, um, if you, if you want to, like I played Destiny 2 with a buddy of mine, um, that lives in the U.S. and, and we, we kind of treat it as like it's a fun way to blow off some steam after working all day. And, and also like it's, it's a cheap phone call, right? Like we could catch up and, and talk and, and, and just bullshit. And, and while we're shooting, you know, space creatures in the face. So it's, it's like over the course of like, not only have I worked on, you know, um, product stuff for that game, but I do really admire the graphic design and their sense of presentation. I think, I think they've, they've, they've clearly exerted an influence on, on, on the rest of the industry when it comes to the level of graphic design and presentation that I mean, one of my, one of my all, other all time favorite games is Wipeout, um, which was a racing game on the early PlayStation. And, um, the big thing about that was it was uh, a British graphic design studio called the Designers Republic and they branded everything in the game. They came up with all the fictional um, names for all the, the, the different racing leagues. Um, they branded the track design, the signage, the logos, like everything. And that was, you know, again, like as a young impressionable, you know, student of graphic design to see that this stuff was possible um, 
was was really eye opening and, and mind blowing. What was that one called? Wipeout. Wipeout. Yeah, and they, uh, they've made uh, several Space iterations Space? since. Yeah, the the early one is you know you'll if you see the very very first one um, back in PlayStation One days, it's it's quite primitive by by today's standards. But over as a franchise, they've developed it over time and and continuous. Like there's a VR version now, which is like. You want to you want to get on the vomit comment, man? Like that thing, like you know, like it, like yeah, like like there's there's that's the thing about VR. Like you know, there's actually a recent. I don't I don't have um the setup to run it, but I'm really curious about the new Half Life Alex because I think if if anyone's gonna make VR um like truly the next level of 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 mechanics and realization, it would be Valve. Um, and, and, but yet, you know, you could get the experience of something like, like Wipeout in VR and it's like, it's, it's intense. Like I, you know, if you, if you ever get the chance to play it, like, I don't know that there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there's the thing about VR, no matter what is some people are going to have inertia problems, right? Like it's just the way we're wired. Like there's no, it's not not a fault of the, of the technology per se. It's just that some people are going to get sick and some people are. A lot of puking. Going to be a lot of puking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. If, if, uh, if people want to see what you're kind of talking about with these different sort of games that are going on, uh, PlayStation is doing a thing right now to help people stay home. Uh, they're giving away a couple games. So if, uh, if you own a PS4, you don't have to have PlayStation Plus or anything. If you have a PS4 and an internet connection, you can go onto the PlayStation Store and you can download Journey for free. And uh, the Nathan Drake Collection is the other one that they have oh, up for free. Yeah, right another, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's another studio like um, what Naughty Dog's doing with Uncharted and uh, Last of Us. Like, you know, they've dedicated themselves to like just a, such a high level of of performance and motion capture and realization. Um, in terms of the, the, the environment design, how the character moves. I mean, that's the thing that's fascinating too, is all the different studios where they've elected to, to kind of focus, um, their talent and their efforts. Um, and that's, that's what I think ultimately makes the video game industry really interesting is, um, you're, you're never going to get the same point of view, um, um, on, on, on even similar genres, right? Like, you could take a, a first person shooter and you could go from something like Titanfall 2 to Half-Life to, um, you know, Call of Duty to Destiny. And even though you're kind of staring down the end of a gun in all, in all instances, beyond that, like the type of experience you're having and how they choose to, you know, introduce other mechanics and how they choose to pace it, um, varies, you know, wildly from, from studio to studio. Do you, um, obviously you're super passionate about the video game stuff. Do yeah. you find it like, I, and it's one thing to like, you know, you work on the games and, and you've created that project. Uh, but games these days, like you don't even have to have a physical game to play it. Like, yeah. you know, your, your work is kind of almost like in the cloud in a sense. Yeah. Um, is it a different kind of like feeling then to like, say like design stuff for like Mondo and actually have, a physical package that you can kind of look yes. at and put on your shelf. Like is, yeah. is there a different sense of accomplishment for you because of that? Absolutely. Um, actually that, that's something that you, we sort of talked about, you know, changing gears and changing focus throughout the career. And, and that's those, you know, you, you observe those moments when you realize that things are weighing, you know, um, you know, more towards something virtual or digital rather than physical. But when you love that stuff, when that's your roots, when you when you've basically developed the early parts of your career all, all around 
um, a physical media landscape and physical objects. Um, it's, it's a hard thing. It's a hard realization actually to come to, to come to realize that like not everything, the world is not necessarily going that way or it's, it's certainly splitting into, into various aspects of like, there's people that really value, um, um, the convenience of digital and, and, and sort of the, the lack of, um, clutter or whatever. You can, you can level like piles of pros and cons about physical media versus, um, digital. But then, the, like, like I said, I, I don't ever want to see like physical objects go away. Like, there's no, there's no corollary for like, what, if you want to collect a, a statue or a toy from your favorite comic book or your favorite video game, like, you can look at pictures of it all you want, but there's just nothing equivalent to seeing it in your hands, right? Right, yeah. And, like, uh, I guess it's a good way to segue into, like, the most recent stuff that people can probably order right now, that whole animated series line that you've been working on with Mondo. Yeah, yeah. Um, first of all, Mondo is the first one to kind of be doing the animated series Batman stuff in that scale. Yes. And, and also, on top of that... You know, when you hear, oh, Mondo's going to be putting out, you know, toys and statues, it's it's awesome because, you know, Mondo is so really well known for their print, you know, their print media and yeah. stuff like that, that when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, shit, they're going to do figures. That's going to look awesome. I really didn't, like, stop and realize that the packaging is going to be fucking artful. Like, you know, I just I just kind of thought, oh, all their attention is going to go into, like, the actual physical figure. And it wasn't until, like, you started seeing pictures of that first Batman come out and then yeah. finally getting the package. And, like, it was awesome to see, like, uh, the standard is one box, but the exclusive are two boxes with the band yeah. around it. Yeah, and, exactly. and And different art on both boxes. Right, yeah. yeah. So that was, like, holy shit. Like, this is... And for I think most of those figures run under like one hundred and sixty dollars, yeah. and uh, for a twelve inch one six scale figure um, in today's kind of like competitive market, that's really unheard of. Because yeah. you know, it's, and you guys are like Mondo is loading up on all the accessories too. So yes, you're getting accessories, you're getting the figure, you're getting the attention to detail on the figure, but then you're getting this fucking insane like box art where it's like. Okay, that's gonna go right behind the toy yeah. on my shelf, so it's gonna be the backdrop to the figure, you know. Yeah. And um, that, that, that's I mean, that's exactly you 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 nailed it because that's really the goal is that um, you know packaging design is often like a lot of things thought of as disposable. I mean, yeah. even though like a company like Apple has you know incredible packaging realization, um, most people wouldn't keep you know unless they're unless they're looking to either, you know, resell it or move or whatever. They wouldn't keep their iMac box, right? But to hear, like, and this was happening at 3A as well, where um, when people were photographing the figure in front of the, the box as the backdrop, um, that's the largest compliment you can ever receive because it says that it's, they're one, they're, they're together, like, they belong together. Yeah. Um, and that you could easily, like, and that's not what they bought. Like they, they, they came for the figure. They, they, they saw the photo on the website and that's what they know that they're purchasing. So in a lot of ways, like getting packaging that you feel that strongly about is, is somewhat of a bonus. Um, but it's extremely flattering because it's, you could take that exact thing that you paid $160 for, throw it into like a bubble wrap envelope and send it and you'd still get what you paid for. You'd still get what you wanted. Right. But your pa the packaging is the first 
is your first experience. Like it kind of justifies your purchase in a lot of ways. Like you, you, you said, you know, I've been anticipating this. I paid $160 for it. When you first crack the box open and you see that logo, um, and you see the, the top panel or you see the front panel, um, it takes everything you felt about, you know, the anticipation of buying it and, and justifies it for you. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's cool too because, I mean, especially our group of, of guys, we all are, you know, we all have stupid, massive collections where you're probably gonna be buried with it one day. But what's, <laughs> what's nice <laughs> is that, um, like my Batman, my Mr. Freeze, I don't even have them out of the box. I literally have the box on my shelf yeah. as the display, you know? Um, and yeah. I don't That's even great. have to figure it out. And it's, it's like, I know that I don't have to worry about it getting messed up, scuffed up, whatever. I can take it out when I want, display it when I want. But, yeah. You know, yeah. I missed out on those prints, right? If you missed out on the print yeah. that Mondo did, no yeah, worries. Fucking City. boxes the print right there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Nice. And, and, well, and I, they completely... I, I... Go ahead, Grump. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to say, when I took out my Mr. Freeze, I posted a picture of the, of the figure in front of the box because the box yep. is so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, that's, you know, and that's Phantom City as well. Like, like they like they do such beautiful work. And, and that's, that's another thing, too. Like, it's a big big personal philosophy of mine for graphic design is getting to work with a lot of these really great illustrators is part of the, part of the, the, the knack is to not step on them. Like you're there for that. Like I've always held the the belief that, you know, graphic design is both a, a like an, a visible and an invisible type of endeavor. And that um, I'm really conscious of when it needs to stand out and when it needs to sort of announce itself and when it needs to step back and let like, like you wanted that, that print as the cover, that's what you're going to get. I'm not going to mess it up with like lots of type and step all over it. And, and, you know, it, it really comes down to like a, a philosophical approach in terms of like, I've often heard graphic design, you know, it's described as either it, it can be architecture or it can be fashion. And when it's architecture, it's foundational, it's fundamental. It, it like it builds something that that will that will sort of that will sort of act as a structure. Whereas fashion is something that's sort of like loud and draped over you. And 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 I think there's two very different schools of thought when it comes to graphic design that way. And and I I very much tend towards the the architectural approach. Like I want it to last. Like I want it to feel like it. It, it it supports like your purchase, right? And it supports what you love about something. Yeah. It's um it's interesting because, you know, like I said, I didn't expect it to be kind of this three D um experience of the artwork and, and the figure like together. Um what, how, how did you guys like kind of decide on uh using that artwork to kind of be another form of uh uh, like presentation for the figures, like was that always kind of the the idea? Where it's like, okay, yeah. you know, this art that we've been doing, the prints that that Phantom City has been doing, like Mondo's been putting them out. Wouldn't it be cool to make fig, you know figures, but then at the same time incorporate both the artwork and the figures together in the packaging yeah. to kind of make this? Or did you know how did that kind of idea and all that come about? Yeah, because the images on the packaging really, a lot of other companies would have just put photos of what's inside. Yeah. yeah. That- that is a yeah, that's a good point because that is a that's an early discussion in any of the not only just the Batman stuff but other stuff is like does a photograph carry the 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 correct tone um, and in some cases yes it can and in other cases no um, 
it, it's it's a if you think about it, it's a property like what you're buying is based on an illustrated version of the character. Like it's a you want to get it as close to what you love and remember about the series. Um, having the, the fact that that Phantom City's done such a a beautiful job of of capturing um moments from the series in their own way, and that they have an already um close association with Mondo, it makes it a pretty easy question to answer. Um, it's you want to give it something artistic and illustrative. You want to make it sort of very, very much the essence of what you love about the show and mm-hmm. what you love about Batman. And and then you want to you want to you said like not step on it in such a way that um, you get the purest, closest form of that when you when you first you know when you first reveal the package. Um, and and so you know that conversation because the stuff already existed and again because it's already associated with other things that Mondo has done. Um, being the prints and the vinyl um, soundtrack, that it, it becomes almost like a, a family in that sense, like or a set, uh, and and so it's it's that's not that particular one. It's not a difficult question to answer, or it's not a, it's not a difficult conversation. Um, we we pretty much arrive at that right away. Yeah, it's I kind of love the way that you guys made it look because no picture will really do the figure justice, like. You really yeah. have to have it out of the packaging in your hand. Because, I mean, Mondo does a great job, don't get me wrong. Whoever the photographer is does really great like, oh, lighting. Oh, absolutely, yeah. They look beautiful. But um, there's still just that. Like, I, I I unboxed it on, I think it was yesterday, and I took it. Yeah. I had, had it outside, and I was, like, taking pictures of it, taking video. And I just remember thinking, like, I really underestimated Catwoman big time. Because, yeah. in my opinion, you you know, we got the Batman. We looked at him. The packaging was awesome. I still love the packaging on the first Batman, the the exclusive, the, the two boxes. Yeah, sure. yeah, the black and yellow. Yeah, super awesome. Um, then the uh, the Mister Freeze is just amazing because he's just like so many cool accessories and the look of him is yeah. so amazing. So I was like, okay, like Batman's awesome, Mister Freeze is awesome. Like you're not gonna really be able to top that. But the simplicity of the Catwoman design mixed with like just how fucking nice that artwork on the boxes, like yeah. on the background. And I even yeah. like, I didn't even plan on it, but I had like a, a red, um, I had a red, uh, uh, sheet down on the table. And like, I put the, I put the clear case down on behind the sheet. And then I had the box on top of the sheet and I was like, Oh shit. Like that looks so nice with like, with the box and stuff. So the Catwoman, honestly, the pro presentation really blew me away because Again, like, I only think about the figure. Like, oh, I'm getting yeah. a Catwoman figure, yeah. you know? Yep. And so, okay, Catwoman figure, toy, accessories, cool. But then you look at it, and it's like, this is a whole fucking experience. Like, yeah. like being super careful with the boxes and, like, oh, I don't want to make it crease because look how nice yeah. this looks. <laughs> exactly. And then, like, oh, look, it flips open, and there's, like, a little window where you could see her. I forgot all about it. And here's the quote on the side. And then pulling out the interior and stuff, it's like, yeah. it was definitely, like, you know, I try to kind of, I try to express that in, in video with like, yeah. opening these figures is just as fun as displaying them with like, you guys have done an excellent job of making it a def, it's like, you know, like a video game, like you're not just, yeah. you're, you're, you're experiencing the game, you know, like it's yeah. a 3D experience and it's similar to like, I think, I think if you're just thinking you're going to get a toy, like that's, that's a completely wrong way to look at it. You're getting the whole collectible with the packaging as part of it. And, yeah. Um, and I, I've seen, I've seen the packages for these do their jobs. I, I work in a comic shop and when okay. we have these on the shelves, I have seen people 
see that box on the shelf, yeah. like the, the Mr. Freeze one was recent. They see that and go, ooh, what's that? Yeah. And, and yeah. just, they, they need to see what's in there because of the presentation of, of the package. Yeah. It's, you guys that, have the advantage too of, uh, that animated series, the, the whole design of that show is so iconic. Yeah. It's that, superb. Yeah. The yeah. box, if you put that box up on a shelf, it's just going to take attention away from everything else. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like holding it, a piece it, of the show in your hand. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's confident. Like that's the thing too. The imagery is so strong and the, and the original, you know, Bruce Tim design of the characters is so strong that it it can stand on its own without any additional like embellishment. Like that that's one of the things that that becomes um becomes pretty clear when you're working with the stuff is when sort of when to embellish and when not to. And in a lot of senses, like um it, it's 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 having an instinct for for sort of almost editing away information so that you get to the closest you know the closest um purest version of something mm. you um obviously you worked on the all the ones that have come out so far yeah. um do you guys work on all those like do you work on all those at once or do you no. work on individually each 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 piece and each packaging and once that's done then you can move on to the next one the original, um, the Batman and Mr. Freeze I did at the same time, and I requested that because, um, it, knowing that there was going to be more than one in the, like, that it was, uh, I guess a series or a system, um, it, it, it makes going into the design, you feel a lot more confident, um, knowing if you can design two characters, then, and get that right, you, you, you feel a lot better about the unknowns, like, going forward, like, not knowing, you know what the third character will be or the fourth character or so on that you you've confidently put a a a, a packaging system in place that you can easily change out artwork typography color information but maintain a standard um and that and that's sort of that's part of the the i think the active of of creating branding and packaging design is to think ahead a little bit and to anticipate like where where could this where could this design fail like in terms of um mm. if the artwork changed drastically or if this changed drastically so um in that case yeah i i had done um both batman and mr freeze the same time batman first and then doing the, the double box for the collectors and then mr freeze but when then mr freeze like was good enough like to get approved but then it went through some refinements but then catwoman um was was uh created sometime after that Mm. And, uh, I mean, those are awesome. The Batman stuff, obviously, really awesome. Um, it, what would you say is your favorite, like, that you've done oh, so man. far, that line? For, for, uh, from the Batman stuff? Or from yeah. Mondo in general? Mondo um, in general, Mondo in general. Oh, God. Well, I, so it's weird, like, for, for me, the, I think Half-Life, not only because, um, uh, I have such a deep, like, love of it, but because that's a case where there, it's really just me, like, doing all of it. Um, as much as I love working with other people's stuff, like, whenever, it's sort of, like, both scary and, and, like, um, like, liberating to kind of do the whole thing yourself. Um, cause I'm not an illustrator, so, like, that's where it's like, okay, I've got to basically get across some of the, some of the nuance and emotion that a, a, a great illustrator can pull off in their sleep. But simply do it with graphic design and typography, like that's an interesting challenge. So in that sense, I'd probably say um, Half Life, but but Batman to me, just because I love Batman so much, like 
and the animated series and, and, you know, any incarnation of Batman, any chance to work on Batman is like, like a dream come true. So I would put that a very, very close to second, like slash tied for first. Um, (laughs) and it's just because it's because of, and it's also, it's, it's hearing now like your, your guys's, um, reaction and response to it. It makes it, makes it all the, all the more rewarding because, because it, it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's making you, you know, fall in love again with the series. It's making you remember like what you loved about, you know, that show, it's making you feel justified in a in a fairly hefty purchase. So, and as you know, from the shop owner perspective, like it's ca- it's catching people's eye. It's it's intriguing, right? So, yeah. if it's doing all those things, then then I'd say that then it's meeting like it's it's successful. It's meeting like what what we set out to do. I got to do a quick shout out for your uh, the 2000 AD dread packaging too. Oh, I think, thanks. Yeah, that's probably. I mean. Um, Batman hits close to home, obviously, because it's, you know, a favorite property, but yeah. that, that look of the Judge Dredd stuff that you did, um, I think it's maybe because it's like the, the red, black, and white it just yeah. pops so much. Um, and the, just, yeah, those look amazing as well. So it's how, how fun to just have that fucking ability to like play with this stuff, you know? It's, well, it, the artwork is so good, like, and that's another case where, like, you talk sort of about the process, the decision-making process to get to something, and in the case of 2000 AD, like, um, the artwork was from so many different time periods and so many different levels, like, a lot of cases you work with the constraints, like, the black and white high-resolution scans of, like, a Brian Bolland inked piece is never gonna, is always gonna be better than, um, um, you know, the newsprint color version, unless you're going for like a very certain tone. Um, mm. but, and you don't get to see that. Like, we, that's the thing with, with comic books now, we are getting to experience like large format, raw, um, high resolution scans of original artwork in ways that, you know, 10, 20 years ago, you never would have seen outside of holding the original in your hand. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've seen the bat, the black and white Batman editions. And then I don't know if you guys have ever seen like graffiti did like this crazy edition of Dark Knight Returns. Oh, um, I got it. Yeah, we got yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can kill somebody with that friend. thing. Like, you, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Like, like in that, and like, you know, considering like what did the cover for the original artwork for issue two, like it sold at auction back in the, you know, um, I think like 2012, 2013, like wasn't it like half a million dollars or something? Yeah. In, in that go, yeah. And so like what you're holding in your hand that you bought for like two or $300 is the closest, mm-hmm. like you're ever going to get to holding, you know, half a million dollars worth of Frank Miller artwork yeah. in your hand, right. Or millions actually, if you think of every yeah. single page. And so, like, that's it. Like, I, I love the fact that that stuff can exist because, um, you know, there, there is an audience for it and there are people that are, are so invested in, in not only like the process of, of what somebody like Frank Miller would do, but to be able to own something like that and to be able to, to, to see it realized to that level is, is incredible. And, and so like, it's the same thing when you're getting like raw scans of like Brian Ball and Judge Dredd artwork. It's like, all you want to do is make it as big as you possibly can. And like, as it's like, like on this, on this, on pack. and it contrasts the figure really well too. Cause if the figure's full color and you got this beautiful, like black and stark black and white, like contrasty drawing next to it, it, it makes for like a really interesting, it's not, it's not expected. Like we've always seen star Wars packaging kind of have that blend of like photography and figure. Right. And so it all kind of, it all kind of harmonizes, but to kind of, to kind of flip that on its ear and go, well, what if you were to make it like really stark and really graphic? 
Yeah, that's a good thing. Is there um, – I know you, obviously you got NDAs and stuff. Is there anything that you have coming out that you can talk about, or is it you can't really talk until it's been out there? Um, no. The, the Actually, everything from the past year, year and a half um, that has been a major project is still under NDA. Um, wow. I, the, I can crap. talk about – so what I can talk about is something that I did that I'm doing more of. So um, a couple years ago um, – I got approached to do the, the the brand style guide for the Division Two, um, and again another game I really I really like like I really like the first one, um, and and so what's interesting about brand style guides is that they're like a hundred to one hundred twenty page documents, yeah. and they're essentially like the ultimate combination of like logo design. Um, art direction, book design, branding design, packaging design, all incorporated into one big, like, year-long project. Like, it doesn't, yeah. it's not an entire, like, straight year worth of work, but they, they are developed over the course of, of, of a pretty long time period. And so, by doing one of those, like, it's led now to me doing more of those types of things for different, different properties. That's um, awesome. And, but that being said, they're all still under NDA, so it's right. like I can't talk yeah. about any of them. But that's 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 hard. Like like to be honest, um, I talked earlier in the in the call about um wanting to do a, a like a, a large frequency of work. Like I want to do a lot of different things throughout the year. Um, and and that's that comes and goes. Like the Mondo stuff, um, is interspersed with some of these other larger NDA sort of um labeled projects. Um, and so it's but it's tough at some point you you are working on a lot of things. And so it seems like you're not really working, but you're actually working on mm-hmm. more than you've ever worked on. So, yeah. um, and, and, but to me, it's like the ultimate thing. Like it's everything that I like to do and everything that I feel like that I, yeah. I, I do pretty well all merged into one project. So like the more of those that I, that I can, can get my hands on, um, I'm really happy about. Dude, it's, it's cool that you mentioned that because, um, the Batman Returns style guide yeah. is my holy grail that I'm trying to track down at an affordable price. I've yet to right. see anyone offering it for probably like under like three to four hundred dollars. Oh, wow. um, and I just I, I as much as it would, I would love to have it, I just I, I can't. Yeah, bills, man. You know, bills yeah. for, for you know. So the, the the lowest I saw someone offer was for like three seventy, and I almost wow. pulled the trigger. But uh, um, but the thing is, is like that is th- like that's if I if I were to have if you told me, dude, like you can only have one thing, um, yeah. for the rest yeah. of your life that just kind of one collectible, I would probably say like probably the ninety two Batman Returns style guide with the art wow. by uh, Jose Luis Garcia. Yeah. Yeah, because it's just like the every everything in that style guide is literally just my childhood, like yeah. just pages and pages and pages of everything I remember of being a kid. Um, how long does like so you're working on one? Have you finished it? How long does it take to do one? Um, it varies. Like I said, like depending on the, the scope of the project and just sort of the amount of assets that get sort of um, laced throughout it. Uh, it, they they can take anywhere from six months to eighteen months. Okay. What so, do they What do they like? Um, and that's what they kind of use to like pull off of like all the campaigns that they do yeah. for like okay. exactly. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So if you think of it as sort of a 
um, you know, there, there, there's different, there's different terminology for them. Like sometimes they're referred to as Bibles or style Bibles or whatever, yeah. but, um, essentially that's it. It's the, it's the, it's the agreed upon final word on exactly like what colors we're using, exactly how the logo works, exactly how the art direction of the marketing assets work, uh, exactly the typography, exactly like how things are laid out or sequenced or, and it's, it includes a little bit to everything. Like there's even, um, style frames for motion graphics. Um, so it's, it, it's really a sample of exactly how, um, a marketing and licensing campaign is executed. Like what you ultimately see in, in the form of, you know, final trailers and final, um, packaging and final, it, the DNA for all of that lies within these style guides. Yeah. Is there any one, like if you had, if you could have one, like, is there any one oh, that you would yeah. want, like that, like, Oh my God, I would love to have this one. Like to own it or to work on it? Yeah, no. Well, let's, let's answer both. Okay. To own and uh, also to like own it. Well, I I would say something to do with I don't know if it even exists, but like um you've you've all seen the like the documentaries on Netflix for like the toys that made us, and I, oh, I'm God, fascinated. Yeah. Like so I'm good. fascinated with like all the old um key art for like GI Joe and and Masters of the Universe. So. I don't know if back then they were all that formal about, but in a weird way, I'd almost like to go back in time and create like through modern, through modern means, like the exact ninth, perfect, like 1982 GI Joe style guide. Right. That'd be amazing. And like, then, then like have the original painting scanned. Yeah. Like, I don't even think they kept any of that stuff. I think a lot of the, the, that amazing painted artwork has either been like, lost to time or or god knows it's right. like it's either in some sort of like raiders of the lost ark style you know <laughs> if somebody was lucky or, yeah, if, yeah. They, if they were lucky some kid asked to take a scan of it and put it on, on his bedroom wall back exactly you know? exactly yeah exactly yeah no and that's it like but but that's the kind of stuff i i find like nobody knows who did that stuff either like now Here. we're starting to see because of those documentaries that the 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 creators of that the that artwork are are no are now known to us and and yeah. I and I and I I'm happy about that because I think that those are those are sort of the cornerstones of of our um of our childhood and our pop culture that we know now yeah. uh, and those those artists deserve to be credited and they deserve to be known yeah. like they did such amazing work and it's all analog too like yeah. it was all done in a, in a traditional way so um that would be something I would, uh, if it, it exists I'd love to own it and if if it doesn't I'd love to make it. It's, I love the one that they did on Star Wars where, yeah. um, like they show you that it was literally like kit bashing figures yeah. and just taking photos of it and Incredible. that's what they used. And like yeah. the fucking, you know, the dude took his sock and he, he cut off parts of his sock to make yep. the little Jawa stuff. And <clears throat> yeah, it's funny because like you, you think about all these amazing pieces and it's like, oh my God, who did this? And it's like, well, Bill from accounting is really good at drawing. So he kind of did, exactly. you know, he did the box design for this. So. But, um, yeah, it's pretty – that stuff that's lost in time is some – that's why, like, uh, you know, the – I wish there was an 89 one. I don't really think there is, but there yeah. is a – there is a there is a, a returns one for Batman. So that's, like, the big one. But, speaking, um, um, speaking of all this, there's the, the DC comic style guide that was done yeah, by that one. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Yeah. And uh, I, there was talk, like, a year or two ago of DC bringing that back. It's so, you know, the pages yeah. are all over the internet, and he's, you know, it's the definitive iterations of each character. 
That's awesome because that's I think they used like the superpower stuff off of that stuff too. Yeah, all that box, exactly. yeah, all the colors, exactly. the colors yeah. and all the yeah, that was the best. That's a good there, one. They, um, go ahead. I'll send you a link to um there a couple of years ago, maybe maybe a little longer, like five or six years ago, a a, gr- a group of I think a couple of graphic designers, they managed to figure out a way to recreate the NASA style guide. Um, they got permission oh. and everything else is legit. And it's it's it was a crowdfunded uh, endeavor. I think it was on Kickstarter, and then and it, again, it was enormously successful. Um, but then they just published it. I, like it, they had enough, you know, additional um, money from the from the campaign to publish it. And then subsequently, they've done so. You can buy that now, and it's not really that much money, and it's incredible. Like it's it's the full on like NASA style guide from you know the seventies or eighties. Um, and then they've done the New York Transit System one since. Wow. Uh, and they think if they, they might have done one other one, wow. but it's like, like honestly, like I, you know, I don't know exactly who all listens um, to the to the podcast, but man, like nerds. anybody out nerds. there that that ever want that ever wants to like figure out a way to to get one of these, like to, to basically do the equivalent of that, what they did with the NASA one for one of these ones you're talking about, like I'm in, like I'll do yeah. it. Oh, uh, like, there you go. So. You never know who – yeah, it's funny how many random people, like, all these different people have contacted us through the podcast. Like, we reach – it's funny what the internet helps you reach and the types yes. of people that you yeah, end up reaching. Yeah, so. absolutely. But, um, yeah, maybe someone will hit you up and be like, dude, I've been trying to do that for forever. Yeah, like, but, I mean, or, like, it's just a great – like, to to know that there's people out there that, like, however you want to pool your your resources or, or figure out a way, pull out some kind of ingenuity to do it, like – um, I'm interested, like that kind of stuff. I, I I'd love to work on. Like, it's it's again, it's it's both nostalgic, but it's also there's there's a craft to it, right? Like, there's a craftsmanship, yeah. and, and there's that's the reason why I think we love it. Like, it it represents a, the closest like look into the DNA of of the final thing that you've that you've consumed, right? Yeah, it's uh, I, I probably have to think now that you mention it. Having a having a style guide that you've done is probably the coolest thing that you can have of your own work because it's like a nice binder, whatever, however you make yeah. it to put on. That's like the perfect. Oh, like look what I made here. Look through my, you know, just flip yeah. through that, and there you go. Yeah. So it's like a portfolio totally within a portfolio, right? Like yeah. it's 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 a complete subsection of just one brand. But you've the the best part about it is you've fully explored the extent of of what you can do with it. It's not, you're not coming in and just saying like, Hey, can, can you just do the logo or can you just make like, you know, a, a single piece for it? Like you've gotten to essentially explore the entire thing from end to end. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's really satisfying because it's also, it's also, it, it shows like there's a thought process to it as well. It's not, you're not just executing like a style. Um, so much of the stuff, uh, the 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 interaction with the the people that are commissioning it, you really do build a, a relationship over the course of the project because you're trying to accomplish very abstract things and you're trying to accomplish like very specific things that you can't always express at first, right? Because there's not, nothing exists yet. Like it's in, in that sense, it's a lot like concept art, where but but for but for branding and marketing because you start with nothing, like you start with like here's kind of what the property is and here's what we're trying to do. But 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 to build that from nothing and to go here are some of the things that we're influenced by and here's some of the stylistic directions we're trying to take and here's how the artwork factors in and here's how the logo factors in and here's how it all works like to go from zero yeah. to that to the full complete thing it's it's extremely satisfying. It's um 
have you ever seen um like some of the concept art for like films that never got made um like there's one that Darren Aronofsky Darren Aronofsky right. was supposed to do Batman Year One yeah and he's he's got like pages I don't I don't know who did that art I wish I knew if it was who specifically the artist was but he's got like um Batman like he's got bat suit designs there's a whole script for uh. it like. That would be awesome to, and we've talked about this. Who I forgot who we were talking to. I think it was Mason Fabic, uh, maybe. No, I, I, I think it was Murphy. it was Sean Murphy that you were telling yeah. about. It, yeah, we're like it would be awesome if like you could find like like lost Hollywood projects or films that never came to be, and you can make yeah. your own like style guide based off of like the script. Yeah, yeah, you know, or like a you know graphic novel based off that stuff. And that's yeah. like, I lo- I always love that like like things that kind of get lost and and um there's complete works of it. And you can imagine what it would have been on screen, but it just never came to life. So yeah, no, but, that that's it. Like, and there's there's almost like a boutique industry that you could that 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 there's an audience for it, right? Yeah. Like, like I, I absolutely like if you if you put it together the right way and and it's presented um, as this very sort of almost esoteric like um, kind of it's like it's almost like you're getting you're digging up like secret manuscripts or something. Thing, right? yeah. So it's like, but that, that's it. Like, I like it's immediately appealing. Like as soon as you as soon as you say it out loud, you're like, yeah, I want that. Yeah, yeah. And so you want what you can't have. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Always. It's yeah. always the case. So, um. But yeah. I uh, hey. speaking of Sean, I I, I spoke to his. Do uh, you know Jeff Martin? Right, his art agent. Dealer. Yeah. 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 I, I, I chatted with him today. We were catching up on on all the COVIDness and. And I just sort of threw at him. I don't know if it'll happen, but I, I know Sean's doing his own uh, uh, creator-owned property. And I was like, yeah. you know, Jeff, he needs a logo. Yeah. Or or like, what do you guys he think? Should. Like, that would be. Yeah. He needs, does he not have his own logo? I, I have no idea. Like, to be honest, I like I all I've ever seen is what he's posted on Twitter uh, as far as like the character, um, all the character sheets, and yeah. like. Um, and some of the, some of the in development pages, but beyond that, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I didn't listen to the full double part podcast, but I don't, did he mention like the name of it? Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, I don't, I don't think he mentioned the name. He was just talking about, um, what it was about. And, uh, right. I think he's obviously not trying to re- reveal too much until right. he yeah, of course, it up on Kickstarter. Of yeah. Um, but I was thinking but like, man, like. Just, there's a definite, there's a definite feel to it. He, there's character names, yeah. even if they're just yeah. tentative. Um, but yeah, man, he's like the whole, he's, he's got a whole like, uh, car, uh, you know, fast car, muscle car vibe going that he's going with his book. So, yeah. um, no, there definitely man. is a need, def- a definite need for like a logo or like, uh, an art design. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. So it's like, like that, that, that's like, that's the two, like I rarely do that much comic book work anymore. Like, I, I think I was telling Tom that, um, besides like, since I left McFarlane, the only actual real comic book thing that I worked on was the Philadelphia project with, um, Jason, um, Alexander and, uh, Rodney Barnes. And, and like, it was just, Jason hit me up, uh, on email one time and, you know, cause he was doing spawn and of course he's pouring over all these back issues of spawn, um, mm. getting up to speed and, and, you know, he would have, he would have came across like all my stuff from that period. And he's just like, oh, he goes like, I'd love to work with you on this, this at the time he didn't tell me what it was, but, um, it was eventually it, it became Philadelphia and, and, and that just got picked up for a, a TV show they announced yesterday. Um, I, I forget the studio that's involved developing it, but, 
that's great. Like they, they, they've only put out the six issues and, um, if you haven't read it, like it's fantastic. Um, but it's, it's, it was a real joy to work on. Like I said, I've, I haven't worked on any comic book stuff in, in since the McFarland days. And so just to work on that one thing, like I was saying earlier, like you work on stuff thinking that you might not ever work on something like that again. So, yeah, um, that's kind of how it's gone for comics. Like I, when I left McFarland, like I kind of figured that was it. Like I wouldn't really end up doing that much more in the industry, but I've always loved the industry. So I've always like paid attention to like, stuff that I like and stuff that stands out, but almost more from an audience perspective now and not from like, a um, being, being, you know, on the, on sort of the inside of it. So, right. Yeah. It's uh but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's exciting to see like a lot of the original IP stuff developing, like, um, people taking different, different ways of, of figuring out how to get to their audience. Like, uh, and, and whether they're, you know, however, whatever the medium, like to me, it doesn't really, like ultimately it doesn't really matter. Like if, if it's digital only, if that's, the, if that's where we're at right now, because, uh, that, that there's, there's a sadness to that be, being digital only because I think we all do love, you know, physical objects and we want to hold a printed comic book in our hand. But at the same time, like you, you don't want to miss out on experiencing really great art or really great stories because, you know, because of the situation that we're in. Right. Yeah. And so I, I feel like, the, and that's, that's sort of the thing that's interesting right now. Like I'm not actively involved in the comic industry, but hearing a lot of the conversations going on, um, you can see, you can feel that people are facing like very, very tough decisions and very almost like existential moments of like, we've never imagined like that this would be happening right yeah. now. Yeah. It's actually funny. Like right before we got on with you, uh, Robin and I were just talking, um, like DC Comics sends us, um, well, they did. They were sending us uh, advanced you know, digital yeah. copies of okay. all their stuff to, for review samples. You know, so you, they yeah. send it to you, so press outlets can review it and and do whatever they do with it. And um, Robin was like, "Hey, man, the uh, the folder's empty. It's completely cleared." Uh, and I'm like, "Oh shit, dude! Like it, the day has come. The day has yeah. come. Like they're they're the reckoning. The shop, <laughs> yeah." Like, Warner Brothers is is scrapping out and they're cleaning house. There's no more, you know. They're probably going to start putting out comics directly under them. No more DC Comics. And I remember like just having like a quick heart attack and like checking my email and being like, Oh no, it just needs two. Uh, what is it called? The uh, two face up authentication. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, we just wow. Got to send them like a second email to make sure that we have access. But, but it, we're just reality. about what's going to happen. Yeah, it's, that's the reality is like all the stuff that we're so accustomed and used to having and not even yeah. thinking about where it comes from, it's all up in the air right now because, you know, um, we kind of have been dependent upon, a lot of things have been dependent upon, and not just like comics, but in general, like like companies, you know, people with, with if you if you don't have the ability to, to work uh, on some form of like, digital platform like how are you working right now you know yeah and uh it's just insane it's we're being forced into the digital age you know all the last remaining parts of our society that haven't yet gone digital and haven't gone paperless are kind of being forced in that direction yeah and uh it's just in in five ten years it's going to be a completely different world because of this one year you know yeah Exactly. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. I was just like, I got a three year old kid. I don't know if you can hear him screaming through the door. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to trying to trying to uh, what do you call it? Mute it as much as I can, but I don't even it's know okay. how much it's getting through. But um, 
you know, it's like this, he's, he's about to be four years old and I keep thinking like, he's, this is going to be his first memories of like, you know, wearing masks everywhere you go, not being able to touch anything, wearing gloves. Like we're literally living in a, in a historical time, like a life changing event. And, uh, we're going to look back on it and it's the landscape of what, what it changes is going to be completely different. The, the, the good thing though is, is that, um, there was already so much in place with like a lot of this stuff, like, you know, video games are never going away. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that kind yeah. Of stuff is, that's video games have been ahead of their time for forever. And uh, there's, there's no like worry as far as that, but other things that like exist in the physical realm, like what's going to happen. I really do think yeah. that you know, a good thing to look at is um, the music industry. Um, yeah. because, you know, I think record companies had the ability to go digital for the longest time. They just didn't want yeah. to because they wanted to continue making money off the physical product, which at yes. the time was making tons of money. Yeah. And then some fucking kid in college figures yeah. out how to exactly. just steal that shit and give it to She was Ed. the COVID of the music oh industry. God, it was. It literally was. And it's like just two kids in college just figured out how to just fucking change everything. And they, you know, it went into a complete panic. And, um, the thing, the thing that come out of it though is there was a lot of change, but there's still demand. There's still always going to be people who want physical medium, like physical media. And, uh, you just got to find those people. You got to find those people and you got to birth new ones. Like, you know, collectors give rise to other collectors. There's always going to be a bug that you catch that makes you want to hold the action figure. Or a comic book or whatever it might be, you're always going to want something physical because it's yeah. a represent, like, you, it's, it's funny because Robin actually made me realize this. Uh, we, what, why do we love Batman? Why do we love this? Why do we love that? And I remember, like, we were talking about it one time and I was describing one of my, my first, one of my first memories. I was on, I wasn't even three years old yet. I was two. And I remember in 19, was it 1989? I was, I was three months away from, no, I was two months away from turning three. My parents take me to the Cinerama Dome in Hollywood to go see Batman. Yeah. And I'll never get it. Because, yeah, it was in the theater and not only in the theater, it was like a half round dome. Yep. Yep. And the, the bent, the bent screen and, uh, the projection curtain was closed. And the bat signal was projected onto the curtain. Oh my god! And so man, like, it's got to be that. That image is forever seared in my brain. Like I can yes. close my eyes and I can see it perfectly. And I remember thinking, like Robin's, like, oh yeah, that's why you love Batman. It's because it's one of your first memories, and you were there with your parents, so it reminds you of your family. And I was like, oh shit! Like you're yeah. right. That's exactly yeah. why I love Batman because he's just a representation of my childhood. Yeah. And like everything I loved about being a little kid. So. There's always going to be that connection that people have to something physical because it's going to represent like a point in time for them. Yeah. And so the key is just to kind of continuously find that connection for people and give them yeah. that. And, um, exactly. You just got to figure it out, you know, but it, it's luck. It, we're lucky that there's so many people like you who have figured out a way to make a, a living and, and a life doing this kind of stuff. And, um, we're lucky that, you know, I think that art will always come out and, that's kind of what's going to get us through all this crap. Like, that's you know, how we speaking escape. of speaking of figuring things out, you called Napster the COVID of the music industry, and you <laughs> you struck on something there because if we can get 
if we can get Lars on this COVID thing the way he went after Napster, we'll that's be true, fucking eh? set. Yeah, yeah that's dude. yeah, just like yeah, it, you gotta invoke the Lars protocols and like <laughs> and like basically like set yeah. him loose. But I mean, that's it. Like and and subsequently, like Napster you gotta, you gotta sue COVID nineteen for yeah. stealing our album. Exactly. Exactly. If that, if that's it. Like. All you do is 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 you take it to court and and just yeah. sue the shit out of it and <laughs> it's like ring your finger at it. Yeah, it'll figure it out. But but yeah, that, that's it. And like like that that Napster was the beginning of what what has now kind of become this form of disruption culture. Like whether it's Airbnb or whether it's um, Uber, like every every industry faces that sort of existential disruption where it's like somebody comes along and does it. A different way and it causes the status quo to kind of take a look at itself and, and get you know almost you know disrupted or dismantled to a degree and in this case it's something that is completely out of our hands like like it's it's touching every industry it's like you're talking earlier about well, what's the difference between film and video games and like we're seeing it now um film relies on people being you know in in physical space making um making content together um, and so maybe that's got to change. Like, you know, you look at stuff, what's going on with like the Mandalorian and how they're filming it. And it makes you think like, huh, you know, like it's not, it's not the perfect evolution of film. You know, it's not what everybody would want, but ultimately if you have to make content. Like that's one way of thinking about how to do it with limited, with people being in limited, you know, proximity to each other or, con- or, you know, in, in a different way of a uh, different environment. Like you're not on location. Um, with video games now, because they're developed, um, they can be developed remotely, and then they're 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 experienced remotely. Like you can experience them at home. You don't need to go out to a theater, or you don't need to um, you know be in a, in a space in, in a space with other people in order to 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 enjoy them. Um, that's now creating like the clear distinction between the film industry and the game industry. If it, if it already wasn't evident, um, now it's even more so. Uh, we have stolen away so much of your time. Yeah, no, I it's feel uh, bad. <laughs> it's okay, like man. I really no, it's great. I, I it was a great talk, and uh, uh, I mean, we covered a lot of ground. Probably, probably a little bit different than than some of the some of the guests you've had on. So, it's, no, it's been a pleasure. We don't have the opportunity to get somebody that's so close to like the gaming stuff, and um, yeah, who's been in and out of, and not just that, but like, man, you've been. You've weaved in and out of like everything, so you've got like experience with, with everything that. Yeah, and like uh, uh, I, I didn't get to bring this up uh, earlier, and I don't want to make a whole other conversation out of it. Sure. But you've done you've done cool things like um, years back you did that uh, you worked on that corn album cover with yeah Todd and with Greg Capullo. Oh, yeah. shit, I didn't know you did yeah. that. Yep. Yeah, the font like the the actual typeface is like um, I'm left-handed, so. I drew it with my right hand. I scratched it with an X-Acto knife, like into a piece of like like acetate film. Oh my um, god! And I only did follow the leader, and and they were like, when when we sent the the record or the design into the record label, they're like, like what font is this? And I'm like, it's not. It's like I just scratched out the title, and they're like, well, can you make a whole font? And so I ended up basically recreating the whole process and like making like alternate letters so that there was two sets of every single letter in the alphabet and they that became like we talked about style guides earlier like that became part of their merchandise like there's there's t-shirts from that entire like album era that were done using that font they they took it on to the next one too after that because on issues i specifically remember on issues looking into the opening it up and inside all the font is the same as follow the leader yeah 
Holy so, like, shit. That's, I, that's the first ever font. I think it's probably the only font I ever really designed. Like, even for the Oilers, like, that, all, the nameplate on the back of the jersey and all the numbers, it's all custom design typography from scratch. Wow. But how different, right? Like, to go from, like, a sports jersey to, like, you know, um, metal, metal band, a metal band, yeah, a metal band. Like, so that's 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 in a nutshell. That's kind of my career, right? Like, I'm what? I'm corn I'm corn on on in a hockey jersey, dude. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Like, because okay, now you can kind of talk about like I was I and I actually meant to say this earlier. More people have touched your stuff, like literally physically. More people have physically had their hands on your work than I think of That's anybody so that we've talked to. Uh, I, and that can't be true. It, like, I've got to look is. at McFarlane and Capullo and well, you've they're the giants to me. Physically, though, like you've, yeah. you're a part of that with Cor- yeah. I'm gonna look it up right now. Watch, let me see how many how many here here. I'll look it up right now with that specific record. Follow because it's like multi multi platinum. Follow the you know it's funny too because um there is uh. I was listening to this podcast with a drummer from um, the Black Keys. Oh, it's it was, he was on Joe Rogan, and he was talking about how that year when that album came out, it was like ninety. What was that like? Ninety seven, maybe ninety eight. Uh, so it was like ninety eight, and he talked about how he was working in a record store in Ohio, and he remembers the day that album came out because he saw the fucking masses of kids coming to buy that record. Yeah. And he just remembers thinking like, oh my God, like this is, this is insanity. Like the amount of kids who have come to buy this record. All right, let's see here. I, I remember Bombers. that episode. They were very condescending about corn. <laughs> they, they do not like corn, but it's completely different. Black keys. Let me see. Did you Joe guys collect so it, the, the Spawn comic books like from that uh, era? Because we did a, on the back cover for three months in a row, we teased yeah. like the reveal of the album. So yeah, it started it out. And yeah, and you put all three together. It's, it's like it started out in black and white, um, just the line art, and then it went to the the, the middle um, part of the triptych was like it was the grayscale version, and then the final was the what you would see cropped as the cover, but in full color, where like with the red, you know, the girl with the red dress. Um, but yeah, like nobody, like nobody knew that 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 like the album was coming out. Nobody knew that McFarlane and Capullo were drawing it. So like it was like kind of one again, like we talked earlier about like how there's no surprises, right? Like. So we tried to try to do the best we could to 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 put some like a really legit like teaser out there. Dude, okay, so I'm looking I'm just looking at it right now. <laughs> In the United States, platinum certification means that an album has sold 1 million copies um or that a or that a single has sold 2 million copies. So that album Follow the Leader is 5 times platinum. God. So it is sold <laughs> It has sold over five million copies. So That's what? Crazy. What other? What other product of yours? What other? What other project of yours? Can you say Assassin's has? Creed? A, oh shit! Okay, now let me that up. Now I'm really like pick which, one. Like there's Assassin's Creed, one? Brotherhood, Revelation three. Um, yeah. So like there's three right there. I mean, add in the Division two. Add in like I don't know. So yeah, like at some point maybe uh yeah maybe I got one over on Todd. <laughs> oh, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah but he's the one. But but come on, like he's the one with the million and a half uh, Kickstarter going right yeah, now. Yeah, but so. it's funny. Yeah. It's funny how like uh, everyone just puts Todd McFarlane's name on that album cover. But the more we talk about it, it was actually everybody else but Todd that was doing that work on there. It's funny. Oh, he they uh, he uh, he everybody. That was the thing I remember mostly was that the 
how everybody pitched in on stuff. Like, um, like the way that Todd and Greg would toss stuff back and forth. Um, you know, it would, it would, they'd kick it out. The, the, at the time, um, a, a gentleman by the name of Brian Haberlin was doing a lot of the digital coloring, uh, for Spawn and, and, you know, he sort of set the standard, right? Um, and so, like, they, he, he did the coloring on the, on the, on the album and then, you know, it all comes back over to me and I'm doing the layout with the fonts and stuff and, and so, and then, and any of the other, like, material, posters, marketing, ads, all that. So, that's one thing I really remember is it's, it's a pretty intimate, you know, affair. Like, everybody's, yeah, and, and, and there's this sort of, like, because stuff was still, it was, it was kind of in the mix of like, stuff was still getting shipped around, like, like the artwork would be sent back and forth, um, cause it's physical. Yeah. But then the, the coloring is digital, the layout's digital, the, the, the font was carved out of like, you know, acetate film. So that's kind of both, like it's, and so, like, that was a really interesting time because it was the bridge between when stuff was, was still a mix of like hand done, um, to like purely digital. And, and, and you kind of, you know, you, when you get to experience all that stuff, you really do appreciate like the, the relative strengths and weaknesses of each, right? And it, it goes for the, it goes for the conversations we're having right now. Like when you talk about physical comic books versus digital, like, I mean, um, you, everyone's going to have their favorite and there's pros and cons to both. Um, but it's like, it, if there's absolutely, it, what's the better alternative? Like nothing at all. Like, do you want to have, you know, like no comic books? So, um, it, it's, it's a very, I, I feel for these conversations that everybody's having because there's not really a right answer. Um, there's a, there's a lot of points of view and, and each one has, you know, a different level of validity. Yeah. But, but I, I, I struggle myself to go like, well, I love throwing some comics on my iPad and, and reading them that way, um, and especially stuff I've read before because I've kind of already experienced it. Like if you've read Dark Knight Returns in in its original form, right. like and you just want to reread it, it's you don't it's feel great. bad. Yeah, you don't feel you don't feel shitty you don't feel about as it. Naughty. You don't. Yeah, you don't. You don't want to go like. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to go say a few Hail Marys after or whatever. Yeah. Um. So just to interject real quick here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Assassin's Creed definitely has corn beat. Sorry, corn. As, uh, of, uh, sorry, guys. as of May 2011, Ubisoft announced that the game had shipped. This is for Brotherhood by itself. Okay. Wow. 7.2 million units. Wow, so crazy. the franchise of Assassin's Creed total, yeah, Assassin's is. Creed total franchise units moved 29 million units. Whew. So I think it's easy to say that video games are king right now. Yeah. yeah, they're yeah. And, and even more so, right? Like if everyone's stuck indoors for hours on end, like oh, yeah. it's it's Netflix or or yeah. or video games. So, dude, um, Robin, when we upload this episode, we're gonna have to describe it as uh, featuring uh, Brent Ash, multi platinum selling. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Please no. So we'll have that under the under the description for the episode. I, but, I was just gonna say that he's Canadian. As yeah. clickbaity as yeah. you can make it, like please, yeah, you know. multi-platinum Canadian selling designer, Brent. Ash. <laughs> Beautifully done. Well, man, Brent, thank well, thanks been, so much. Yeah, absolute pleasure, man. This thanks, was yeah, likewise. Um, anytime you want to hop back on and talk about, it's probably going to be a couple years until you're able to. But yeah, anytime, anytime you want to come back and hop on the stuff you're allowed to talk about, man, we're more than happy to have you. Um, thanks uh, so much for your time, dude. Yeah, likewise, man. Thanks for having me on. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. And uh, stay healthy, man. Stay you safe. Too. Yep. And likewise. we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Have a good weekend, well, guys. Thanks so much. Bye. You too. Bye. Take it easy. Take care.